And we are on air for Fans for Racing's Vega NASCAR Race Review. And uh, we've got a big night here. We're going to start with a few updates from the NASCAR trucks, uh, the ARCA East and West Series, as well as the ARCA Race at Talladega Super Speedway. Uh, we've got a lot to review there in our first half hour. Uh, then at 9 o'clock, we're going to talk to Chris Knight from Catch Fence. We originally had Joe Graff Jr. scheduled. Something came up, and he was unable to be on the show with us tonight. So uh, Chris is stepping in for him, and uh, we always look forward to catching up with Chris. So that's at 9 o'clock Eastern time here tonight. Then we're going to review the Xfinity Series at Talladega, and we'll close out the first uh, 90 minutes with our review of Talladega for the NASCAR Cup Series. At 10 o'clock Eastern is our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off with the Fan for Racing crew. So uh, definitely looking forward uh, to catching up with our uh, Fan for Racing crew on all the hot topics from the weekend of racing. So let me go ahead and get started with a few of the updates from the uh, ARCA East and West. Uh, just so uh, everybody knows when the next races are going to be. The Menard Series, Arca Menard Series, uh, raced this past weekend at Talladega, but their next race is going to be May 1st, next weekend. Uh, The Dash Boy 150 will take place at 12.30 p.m. Central, that's 1.30 Eastern, at Kansas Speedway, and that will be televised on FS1. So uh, set the DVRs now for that race because it's going to be a good one uh, at Kansas Speedway. Then on May the 8th, we have the Music City 200. We've been talking about this one for a while. starts at 9 p.m. Eastern time at Nashville Fairground Speedway, and that's going to be available on TrackPath for NBC Gold members. Uh, Then May 22nd, this is a, a red-letter day for the Arkham Menard Series because this is the first race for the Sioux Chief Showdown. Uh, that's the 10 races within the Arkham Menard Series that has its own championship. And the first race is the Earth Potato Chips 200 that will take place at 8 p.m. Eastern time on May the 22nd at Toledo Speedway. That race will be televised on MAV-TV. So uh, hopefully folks will be able to tune in and set your DVRs for that race as well. Then lastly, we have the Arkham and Arts Series West. Uh, the General Tire 200 will take place at Sonoma Raceway at 5 p.m. Eastern Time on June the 5th. Again, that race will be available for NBC Gold Track Pass members. You'll be able to watch the live streaming of that event. And as we get closer, we'll let you know uh, when the NBC Sports Network delayed broadcast uh, will take place as well. Uh, so that's uh, uh, some of the updates that we have there for the Arca Menard series. Uh, just to give you, for the Arca East, which is uh, the next series after the Arca Menard series, uh, that, the standings there have uh, Sammy Smith at the top of the list. After two races, Taylor Gray is just eight points out. Then Max Budis Eris is nine points out. Mason Diaz, ten points back. And Joey East, 
15 points back. Again, that's just 10 races, I'm sorry, two races in the books. The third race will take place again May 8th at Nashville Fairgrounds. So, again, you'll want to make sure that you uh, tune in for that uh, because a lot is on the line for those drivers. For the West, the uh, Arkham and Arts Series uh, West standings, it's going to shake up quite a bit when that next race takes place on June the 5th because the first race was at Phoenix Raceway and it was a combined event with the Arkham Menard Series and the Arca West. Ty Gibbs has the lead. Six points behind him is Corey Heim, who is the winner for the Daytona and Talladega this past weekend. Um, and then Dad Moffitt is seven points back. Kyle Seed, nine points back. And Derek Krause, 10 points back. That's your top five. The first Arca West driver is actually Jesse Love, who is tied with Drew Dollar at 11 points back. So already it's a tight contest uh, in the Arca Menard Series West. And folks, again, will definitely want to tune in for this because it's going to be a fun race to watch. Um, Sal, welcome to the show. Our co-host, Sal Segala. No, thanks. Thank you, Sharon. Almost forgot. <laughs> Sorry about that. I was kind of getting into I, I the don't... updates and kind of going back and forth. Oh, no, that, so, no, no uh, that's fine, yeah. I'd gotten all your text messages, and then, I don't know what happened. I, I didn't, wasn't paying attention to the, um, to the, uh... Well, it's having some problems with my, um, computer, and I had to restart it about 15 minutes before the show started, and I thought, gosh, if it gives me a hard time, uh, I've got to let Sal know to hang tight for me, because I am going to be here. Uh, but it all worked out. I was able to get it restarted and everything reset up uh, in order for us to start on time. Uh, I want to go ahead and get into the Arkham Menard Series race at um, Talladega. It was an exciting race. Did you get a chance to watch it, Sal? Yeah, actually, I did. Oh, I finally got good. to see. Yeah, it was. It was. Oh, yeah, really, really. Excuse me. It was a really good, uh, a really good race. It was, and Corey Heim is setting him up as a super speedway superstar. He won both at Daytona as well as at Talladega this past weekend. So uh, that's two super speedways and two number one finishes for Corey Heim from Venturini Motorsports. Yeah, it was a it was a really good race. I just um, gosh, that hit by um, um, I can't remember who had that who was Derek it that hit caught fire. Yeah, Derek Lancaster. Derek Lancaster. But uh, yeah, but then sixty five year old Dave Mater, man. <laughs> How about he finished second? He finished second. <laughs> that is so exciting. Yes. It's <laughs> crazy. Yeah, and you couldn't you couldn't have any more tickled about having a second place finish than Dave Mater the third was. Uh a really great finish for him. Uh Nick Sanchez finished in third place from Rev Racing, then it was Drew Dollar, another Venturini car, uh finishing in fourth place. Brett Holmes rounds out the top five at Talladega. The next five were Thad Moffat, Andy Kikowiak, Kyle Sieg, Eric Cardell, and Scott Malcolm. So uh, right now between 10th, well, I can't say because the points aren't there. Do you have the points up, Sal? 
Oh, yeah, I do. Okay, because... Yeah, I, yeah point, I have Yeah, that's great. Uh, Corey Heim, I'm sure, is at the top of that list. Yeah, he is. You want me to read him off? Yes, go ahead. Oh, oh okay. Yes, okay, so uh, um, after three races, we had Corey Heim um, in first place, and then right behind him was Drew Dollar. Uh, third is Kyle Sieg. Fourth is Ty Gibbs. Gosh, he, man, I he that was his race to lose, his race to win, and, and then he got caught up mm-hmm. in that accident. It was really sad to see, but you know that that's the um, that's Talladega for you. Then um, fifth, Dad Moffitt, and then sixth, Jack Wood from out here from my from my end of the spectrum out here on on the on the left coast, west coast, whatever they want to call it. And then I'm seventh is Brett Holmes, <laughs> eighth is Dick Sanchez, and ninth is uh, Tim Richmond. And it's funny they don't have a we don't I guess we don't have a tenth. There's no tenth. <laughs> There's no, no tenth place. That's yeah, a, they, they, they go from right to eleventh. <laughs> they go from right to eleventh. So, um, but um, yeah. So, so anyways, it it should be Tony Brett, um, uh, Brett uh, Brettinger. Brightinger. Should should actually be Brightinger. I don't know. I, I've I've met her a lot of times out here, but I just never really knew. I've called her Tony because I don't want to mess up her last name. But yeah, so so she's in tenth. <laughs> yes, uh, it's really exciting. Um, the points were so close before this race at Talladega, but uh, once this race took place, you're now 66 points between the 10th place driver and the first-place driver. The contest uh, for this is really for between first and second, two Venturini cars, Corey Heim and Drew Dollar. And then between fourth and fifth, between Ty Gibbs and Thad Moffitt, just four points separate them. Um, Kyle Sieg is kind of in between all of those guys. So uh, fourth and fifth place is kind of close because those first and second. Uh, with uh, Kyle Sieg in the middle there, but uh, as this they're racing again, Sal, at Kansas Speedway this weekend, so we get a chance to see them back on the track, and it should be exciting at the 1.5 mile venue. Yeah, it it it, um, it it should be. You know, and actually, you know, you mentioned you know you talk about Nick Sanchez. You know what? And um, to see up uh, a um, drive for diversity. Um, Racer, you know, finished as good as he did. You know, Talladega, you know, was uh you know, was was uh was pretty cool to see. Yes indeed, it was very cool to see. You mentioned Derek Lancaster <laughs> and uh the wreck that he had. Uh it was really uh very scary. Uh but they have given us an update on Derek Lancaster uh after his crash at Talladega. He was involved in that fiery crash with just five laps to go uh, this past Saturday at Talladega. He was sent uh, to the local medical facility near Talladega for further evaluation. Uh, His car actually hit the backstretch wall and burst into flames before it slid into the infield grass on turn three. The track safety crew members helped Lancaster out of the car before he was transferred to the infield care center and then to that local medical facility. Uh, Lancaster's wife, Beth, on Monday afternoon shared this update 
uh, on her husband's condition via social media. She says, I want to thank everyone again for their prayers and support. Derek remains hospitalized and in critical condition, but stable condition. He is still on the ventilator. The doctors say he will likely remain on the ventilator for another two to four days, but they will begin weaning him from it when the time is right. I will share another update tomorrow and to continue to lean on your prayers for support. Lancaster is 48 years old. He made his seventh Arkham and Art Series start on Saturday. He has competed part-time in the series since the 2014 season. So as we continue to get updates on Derek Lancaster, we will be happy uh, to give further updates as they become available. But uh, I'm so happy that he's in stable, uh, critical but stable condition. So uh, our thoughts and prayers are really with Derek Lancaster and his family. You know what's strange, Sharon, about that wreck was – I've never, they've never ever, you know how they showed the wreck and then when it caught fire, they took the cameras off of it real quick. I've never seen them do oh, that yeah. before. And I, and, and I think the way he hit, you know what, I mean, it's something that we never want to think about, but I, I think NASCAR part that there was going to be a death involved because as hard as he hit and he didn't get out of the car right away, you know, and, and the way the car is engulfed in flames, I mean, it kind of mm-hmm. reminded me of the, of, um, gosh, I can't remember the F1 driver offhand who got in the wreck earlier in the year and went underneath the, 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 um, the railing and the car was, the F1 car was fully engulfed him, climbing out and jumping over the, over the railing and, and, uh, um, you yeah. know, I mean, he, he got he got burned really that bad. Scary. But this one, yeah, yeah, this 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 was one probably one of the most serious. I've seen a lot of fire wrecks. This is probably the, one of the most serious fire wrecks in a stock car exactly that I had seen in a, in a very very long time. I agree, Sal. It was very very scary. They did show him uh, getting out of the car with the assistance of the safety crew members. Uh, they also uh, were able to. Uh, show him, he kind of, he got out of the car, he walked a couple steps, and then he laid down on the grass, and then they assisted him onto the stretcher, and, you know, he went to the infield uh, care center. But, yeah, that that was very scary, and you knew right away that it was serious, uh, like you say, uh, and, you know, I'm really anxious uh, to hear the updates as they come in, uh, because, uh uh, he's he's going to have, uh, I think, he he's he's got a lot to go through before he gets to a better place. I think, and uh, I know his family will be by his side, and and everybody is praying for him and uh, for the very oh, best yeah, he, for his speedy recovery. He, he 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 definitely has a long road to recovery. You know what? And and you know that just you know um, talks you know significantly about the safety of the cars. But on the flip side, real quick, it's funny because we see bigger explosions than NHRA, you know, when the cars explode, you know, the drivers just walk away, you know, like it's nothing, you know. I mean, fireball, I mean, you know, you know, from all the nitro, you know, when they explode and they walk away like it's nothing and boom, and here they are in the next round trying to put a car back together to race. But then this is a whole different, um, this one's a whole different scenario. But, yeah, I, I you know, I'd like to see him um, – recovering, you know, come back and, and race again. 
Yes, yes. It, that will be a very happy day when we see him uh, back back racing. Uh, I know he's had accidents before, and he's always said that uh, that he, um, you know, wants to be uh, in a race car. So uh, definitely uh, looking forward to the day that he returns back to racing. So, um, you know, again, that next race is going to be a Kansas Speedway, uh, and uh, we're definitely looking forward to seeing everybody back at the track. Uh, and another race for the Arkham Menard Series. We don't have to wait so long as what we've been waiting, Sal, for that next race to take place. They'll be racing May 1st at 12.30 p.m. Central Time or 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time. It will be televised on FS1 from Kansas Speedway. The Dutch Boy 150 is that race. So uh, uh, definitely one to catch. And uh, keep your eye on uh, what happens at that 1.5-mile venue. Yeah, unfortunately, that's going to be one race I'm going to have to miss. That's this coming up weekend, right? Yes. Yeah, I'll it be is. up in um, I'll be up in Stockton with the um, with the SRL with um, with the uh, SRL Southwest Tour race. They're racing again this weekend, so I'll be up there in um, Stockton and. Um, actually finally getting back to the track after my surgery, so I'm looking forward to that. But I will definitely record oh, it and try and, catch, try and catch as much as I can before um, the show next Monday because, actually, I'm finally going back to work. Next Monday will be my first oh, wow. day back after yeah, after my surgery, so it's going to be a... I was going to ask if you wanted to stay on for Hot Topics tonight. Yeah, you know, Sharon, tonight, I, I man, I, I'd love to, but... um. But I, I mean, tonight I can't. I'm just, I mean, this is okay. our last. This, 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 like my last vacation. I call vacation. Um, we right. call it the easiest way. My last vacation. Um, um, sickness, sick, sickly. So. Okay. Um, well, another uh, update here with regard to Corey Hine uh, from the Arkham and Art Series as we kind of transition over to the Truck Series South. Coy Heim is actually uh-huh. uh, planning to make a truck series debut at Darlington for Kyle Busch Motorsports. So he'll be uh, uh, behind the wheel of the number 51 Tundra for KBM at just 18 years old. So that will be his track and series debut at Darlington on May the 7th. So that's going to be fun to see as well. Yeah, I, I think after the race they had made it. Did they make an announcement right after the race that he was gonna? Um, I think or so. during the race or something that that he was gonna be in the, in a KBM truck. So, I mean, um, you know, Kyle Busch is always you know willing to put those uh, you know uh, those up and coming drivers, especially the ones that that show a lot of promise, you know, into one of his trucks. Exactly. You know, the last race for the truck series was last weekend at uh, the Toyota Care 250 at Richmond Raceway. Uh, the race winner was John Hunter Nemechek, followed by his boss, Kyle Busch. Uh, and that's the second time that's happened this season. Um, but, uh, uh, again, they're not racing this weekend, but they will be back on the track at Kansas Speedway on Saturday at 6.30 p.m. Central, 7.30 Eastern, and it will be televised on Fox Sports 1. 
So uh, definitely uh, make sure you tune in for the Truck Series race at Kansas uh, this upcoming weekend. Uh, It's going to be fun to see what happens next in that series. Yeah, it is. It's going to be nice to get back to, you know, seeing all the, you know, series back up there again. Um, You know, it's funny because I I went to the very first NASCAR race at at, uh, when Kansas first opened. I I went out to visit because my sister lives out there. And that's the only race I've been to since. Oh, wow. It was just the one. Well, and, and, um, I, and I, actually, I was well, looking to get I'm sure that will this pick year, up as time to, goes on here. Um, I wanted to see you this so year. So I'm going to ask Chicago you to go Labs. over the, the – well, I've got to step away for a few minutes. So I'm going to ask you to go over the points report uh, until I'm able to come back here and give an update for the truck series uh, on the points. Okay. Let me um, let me get there. So we got the uh, – here we go. Yeah. Trucks. Okay, so the update on the driver points heading into after Richmond – we got John Hunter Imachek that is still leading the points. Uh, second is Ben Rhodes. Third is Sheldon Creed. Fourth is Austin Hill. And fifth uh, is Matt Crafton. So we're looking at, so far, the race winners, John Hunter Imachek and Ben Rhodes both have both have two wins each in the, in the top five of the points. And everyone else is still searching for their first win this season. Um, going down from there, then we go down to the Stuart Friesen, which is sixth. Grandin Finger, seventh. Eighth is Zane Smith. Ninth is Todd Gilliman. And tenth is Johnny Sauter, who is only, looks like Johnny Sauter is only two points back from, um, actually, Carson Hosevar, who's 11th. He's, uh, he's two points back from Johnny Sauter in, the, um, uh, in that last uh, transfer spot. Um, Carson Hosevar right now is, uh, is the highest leading rookie in 11th, and then right behind him is Chandler Smith. So you got a pretty good little battle going on this season for uh, rookie of the year with the um, with the NASCAR Truck Series. Um, looks like it's gonna it's gonna fold. It's gonna turn out to be a really good uh, battle as the season goes on because we see drivers here that are capable of winning who haven't won yet, and one of them I'm sure. Everybody has their had their eye on with Sheldon Creed, and of course the um, the veteran Matt Crafton, who's usually always good for one or two wins every season. We'll see what happens as the season goes on this year, and if he can Matt can pick up a win or even Sheldon Creed. But then you got Tal Gillen, who's in ninth, who's doing a lot better. Um, he's improved a lot since, since last season, and actually his first season before that in the, in the Truck Series. So Todd's another one, another driver to look out for. And then we go down to uh, um, Austin Wayne Self, who we had on the show. I think it was last week we had him, or the week before we had Austin Wayne Self on the show, and it, it was good to hear from him again. 14th is Rafael Lassard, 15th, Brett Moffitt, 16th, Tanner Gray, 17th, Derek Krause, 18th is Haley Deegan, 19th is Ryan Trucks, and rounding out the top 20 in the truck series is Tyler Akram. Derek Krause is really showing a lot of improvement this year. He's been up and down with the with the with his season, 
Um, Derek Cross, as we know, races for uh, Bill McAnally Racing. And um, this is the second second full season in the trucks. And uh, he's you got to really look at, at at how well he's doing for only being a, a – um, basically a, a, a brand new startup truck team. Also the fact that, um, that they're only a one truck team they're, they don't, they don't have two and three trucks of, you know, and they're stable. So, um, I'm sure if not this season, by next season, we'll, we'll see some big things, um, coming out of Derek Krause, but, um, John, I would agree. yeah, you, I mean, we're going to, I'm pretty sure we're going to see some big things. We should see some big things out of him. We followed him his whole career. Yes, we have, and and you know what he he's he's in a sophomore slump, I guess if you could call it right now. But I see signs of him kind of coming back. I think he's going to be okay, and uh, I think as the season progresses, we're going to see better and better things from uh, Derek Kraus for sure. Yes, I I I, I agree in. Uh, and actually, and, and all and all the drivers, you know, that are, you know, that that we're looking, you know, out to, you know, as we, you know, through the top twenty, I see some, you know, and in positions where I normally used to see them. But as the season progresses, you know, we're going to see a lot, you know, a lot of good, a lot of good things coming from this truck series. It's always been a, a really good, a competitive series. So um, anything can happen from week to week. Exactly, anything can happen, and. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see what does happen uh, as they continue to race this Saturday at Kansas Speedway, uh, the sister track to Chicago and Speedway. Uh, I wish I could get out there because uh, I think, there, you know, three races along with the Arthur Menard Series, that's the way it used to be at uh, Chicagoland Speedway. And they always put on a good show. So uh, I think... Uh, we might see that this weekend. The only thing is, I have to take that back. It's not three races. They really only have uh, the Arkham and Art Series, the Truck Series, and the, and the Cup Series racing at Kansas this weekend. And, of course, we'll preview those races on our show this Thursday night and uh, be able to give everybody a little more detail about what to expect out of Kansas Speedway. But the Arkham and Art, the um, Xfinity Series will have another week off. And you know, Sharon, actually, I had um, I had Chicagoland on my um, bucket list for this season. I was going to come out and oh, see you. Oh, you really? Yeah, they yeah. were bigger. They they would close the track down, so I was like, oh man, I guess I guess the, there went that. Everybody asked me, "Have you ever met Sharon? What she like?" I go, you know what? I said I've known her for what ten, eleven, twelve. 20, 30 years. I said, 20, we've never seen each other. 20 some odd years. <laughs> yeah. I said, we've never met. I said, just on the radio. Exactly, exactly. But it will happen one day. I'm, I'm confident of that. So we'll just have to kind of hang tight until we're able to make that happen. Coming up, uh, Sal, we've got, uh, we were supposed to have Joe Graff Jr. come on with SS Greenlight Racing. Uh, he's a regular on the show. He comes on every month uh, throughout the season and just kind of gives us an update on what's going on as, as he, he kind of progresses his career. He's had some exciting things going on with Antonio Williams uh, backing him and, and becoming a coach there and doing some things to help him get more sponsorship. Uh, Joe's got a, a 
a kind of a fun sneaker uh, collection that he likes to give us updates on. And uh, we enjoy talking with Joe Graff Jr. throughout the season. But unfortunately, tonight he has something come up and he's not able to be on the show. So standing in for him is going to be Chris Knight from the Catch Fence. And uh, we've we've had that happen once or twice before. And Chris is uh, always a fun person to talk to as well, Uh, someone who... uh, uh, follows this sport very closely, and, and a lot of fans uh, follow him because he gives great updates from the track, whether it's the Arkham Menard Series or uh, the NASCAR Series. Uh, Chris uh, is pretty knowledgeable about what's going on within the sport. Yeah, you know what, Ben? Actually, I'm going to test his knowledge with one question tonight because I'm pretty sure he follows all the short track racing. Not only does he follow um, NASCAR, but I'm sure he follows short track racing. But there was, there was a big uh, announcement made this week, and I was going to ask him what he, what he thought of it. So. Oh, okay. So well, gonna... he's here now, so I'm going to go ahead and bring him into the queue. And uh, first of all, Chris, I want to say thank you and welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me back on. It's great to be back on with you guys. Well, uh, it's always a treat when you're able to be on with us, and uh, we enjoy catching up with you. Uh, Were you at Talladega Super Speedway this past weekend? Yeah, I just got home a couple hours ago. Um, You know, it's always, um, uh, you know, it's a little eerie going to Talladega Super Speedway last year because, you know, you usually go there and it's just a packed house full of fans and with with the pandemic and everything uh, to go there and just, you know, when we went there in, in, uh, you know, in June, they had, you know, 5,000 fans, and then when we went back in October, they had, you know, 10,000 10, fans. But when we went back uh, this weekend, and it was nice to sit in, in traffic a little bit and and just um, uh, see the excitement back in the fans when you go to Talladega because it's a pretty, pretty cool moment and uh, makes us be blessed to be able to be part of the sport. Absolutely. I know uh, Talladega is one of the tracks that a lot of fans have on their bucket list. Uh, and there's always the, the Talladega infield uh, stories uh, of yeah. uh, a lot of fun and camaraderie. Yeah, especially at Talladega Boulevard uh, after after hours, it always seems to get exciting. I, I've had the chance to experience one in my lifetime, and uh, uh, one was enough for me. But, I mean, it's just great to see um, – you know, fans back at the track, and just just the overall. I mean, you could just feel the excitement when you're walking in. You know, walking to the press box, uh, just to see the fans excited and 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 everything it was. It was a pretty cool feeling yesterday. Yes, I bet it was. Uh, and uh, your driver Joe Graff Jr. was in that race. I I noticed he was racing up in the top ten uh, for a good part of it. I was so excited yeah. that he was going to be on the show tonight. I'm like, oh, okay. yeah. Some great things to talk about. So yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, go he got tied up with a, a sponsor obligation. So he he called me or he texted me and said, "Hey, uh, we're running behind." And obviously, you know, sponsor obligations are important, especially in this day and age uh, when you're when you're trying to keep the sponsors happy. So I told him I I pitch hit, but he did he did a great job this past weekend in the Z Girls Chevrolet Camaro. I was really uh, you know, the, the, he was able to work from his, his way back from the from the back of the field to the front of the field, and and, and obviously got Bobby Dodder's uh, you know car in the, inside the top ten there. And then, unfortunately, after that last pit stop, um, he was he was still running pretty well, and unfortunately cut a tire and, 
and uh, ruined the afternoon. And then the rain came. We never really got it. He never really had an opportunity to recover. So, um, you know, it's just it's, the season started off well, but he's had a, a rough stretch here uh, of a couple races, and hopefully uh, they're going to go to Talladega or excuse me, Darlington next weekend because they have an off weekend this weekend in Kansas. But they'll go to Darlington and have a rebound. I'm really excited about the throwback paint scheme that um, that they're going to announce here in the next couple of days or the next week or so. Uh, it's, it's very cool, very unorthodox uh, as far as it goes to NASCAR, but it's going to be something that I think everybody will resonate with and, and be really excited about. It got me excited when I saw the final product, so I'm really excited. It's, it has nothing to do with NASCAR or drivers, but when when, when people see it, <clears throat> excuse me, it's going to bring back a lot of memories. You know, the first visual I had, Chris, is a big sneaker. It's not a sneaker. It's not a sneaker. I, I promise you, it's not a sneaker. But um, it, it, it's definitely, it's, def, it's definitely, um, it's definitely something um, that, that that people are gonna, they're gonna, it's gonna be. Uh, you know, I saw the final product. Uh, uh, their graphic designer that they had, but Michael Maselli, he's one of the best in the business. And when he put this final product together, and I thought, I said, oh man, this looks fantastic. And even the team got is overly excited about it. So I can't wait to see see, uh, see what everybody else thinks about when they announce it. Okay, well, we'll definitely keep our eyes uh, on the lookout for that. Now, Sal says he's got a question he wants to uh, throw at you about a short track event. So I'm going to pass the baton over to Sal uh, so that he can answer his question. Yes, sir. Hey, what's up, Chris? Hey, so um, uh, how close are you, are you following the, the, you know, the, uh, the super late out there and, um, you know, on the East Coast? Well, I try to keep it. Try to keep my hand in in the, in the racing industry, so I'm kind of curious what your question is. I'm sure I probably heard about it, but I'm kind of curious what your question is. Okay, what's your thought on on um, on Stephen Nassi leaving Jet Jet Motorsports? Yeah. Him, him, him yeah. actually, I was, I was surprised because Chris Cater has been with Jet since way before Stephen Nassi. Chris Cater used to be Jeff Chiquette's um, uh, crew chief way back when Chiquette was racing, and then Derek Dorn. He 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 made a few starts with um with Jet Motorsports and the Blizzard Series, and then they picked up Nasty. And I was I was shocked when um when when Nasty made the announcement this week, you know, that he had left Jet Motorsports and and he brought Chris Cater along with him. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's it's one of those things I did hear that announcement, and obviously it was something that I think took a lot of people, including myself, by surprise. Uh, you know, Stephen Nasty, I feel like is one of the premier short track drivers in America, and uh, obviously, but when you put and you put yourself together with a team, you know, like Jet, and I think many people expected, you know, to be uh, all bells and whistles, you know, and, and to be great things. And sometimes you compare yourself with the right people and the and the right team and the right sponsors, and you just don't get the results that you're looking for, or necessarily not even re- maybe not even results, but just the right circumstances or um, you know the right surroundings. And obviously, I think you know something going on behind the scenes, obviously related to performance or or just, you know, the comfort level that he has. And so they decided to make a switch. And, and uh, that you know, that we've seen that happen in, in not only late, super late model racing, but other forms of, of racing where, you know, you see a driver move on to a new team or, or a, a new gets paired with a new crew chief, and you really think it's going to be the next best thing. And it, it turns out that the grass isn't greener on the other side. So I just think it's one of those experiences where, um, you know, Stephen tried this and, and didn't work out. And I think, you know, it was best both probably – parties obviously got together and decided it was best to, to split. 
So um, they did, and, you know, we'll see what, what the door opens next for Stephen Nassie. But I, I just think that, you know, it's it's relevant that it's something that, you know, you can take to all forms of NASCAR. It just, you know, sometimes it just doesn't work for whatever reason, and maybe it's not even anybody's fault. It's just the way that the life uh, rolls on sometimes. And so hopefully, um, you know, Stephen will, will find himself in a good in a good situation in the quick near future, and, and obviously Jet find a, a replacement driver that, come in and kind of, you know, pick up where he left off. Yeah, you know, and it's it's kind of what was even more strange was that Stephen had just won, I think he just won the Oxford, the Oxford uh, 150 or something like that this year, and he had, and he had picked up another big super late model win. And um, yeah. last year he was, you know, he was uh, actually almost won the, he almost won the Snowflake 100. Him and Bubba Pollard got, in, got into the little confrontation at the end of the race. You know, Bubba got into, got into him, or Nasty got into him, or something like that. But I, I, I just thought it was kind of strange because, you know, I've, I talked to Steven a lot, and I talked to Pat Jett a lot, and and um, you know, I just thought it was, it was just, I mean, it, it kind of like came out of nowhere. You know, next, you know, you know, Nasty makes announcement, you know, I'm not with Jet no more, and, and that was yeah. that. Yeah. So like, and you know, you know what? We, we don't know what's going on behind the scenes as well. You know what? And how's how's Dylan? I mean, I I see Dylan Lupton a lot. Um, yeah. What's what? So is is, is Dylan just going to continue running the the Southwest uh, Southwest Tour this year, or is he planning on yeah, doing some Xfinity races? Yeah, Dylan's pretty busy right now. You know, obviously he's running a multi million dollar company with his father, and and obviously he's going to run the Southwest Tour series, the SRL series, on the West Coast, and he is working on uh, plans to run in. in the ARCA series and, and, and NASCAR Xfinity and, and truck series officers are on the table. So he's working through that. So I, I think that you'll see Dylan uh, on the racetrack a lot more, whether it's, uh, you know, super late model or NASCAR Xfinity or truck, um, you know, maybe even some cup opportunities have been presented to him. So he's working, you know, it's not anything that's going to be full-time, but, you know, I think Dylan Lupton has shown over the last couple of years, you know, when he's been paired with uh, David Gillen racing and those guys have really, done a good job to put Dylan in some good equipment. And I think Dylan has shown that if he can get some good equipment, he can go out there and run uh, competitively in the top five and top ten. And, and he's definitely done that with David Gillen, both in, in the NASCAR Keep Your World Truck Series and in the Arkham Menard Series uh, last year at Kansas Speedway. So, um, you know, Dylan's still around. He's still uh, looking, you know, to, to make a name for himself and prove to everybody that he has what it takes to do there. And I think he has proven that. But he, he's obviously hungry for a win. And I think uh, you know he'll be. He's got a, a huge race coming up here in a couple months on, on the, the, the the West Coast, uh, and that's NASCAR related. And, and so uh, I'll we'll wait to, for that announcement to come. But uh, I think Dylan's going to have a really busy uh, summer and fall, and I, I can't wait to see uh, him get that opportunity to go out there and another opportunity for him to chance uh, to show everybody that he belongs in NASCAR. Because I, I think that Dylan. Uh, has really worked hard over the last couple of years to find himself in a good position and prove to everybody that, you know, if he gets in competitive equipment, he he does have what it takes. Yeah, you know what, I have to agree 100% because I remember Dylan when he first came, actually when I used to see him over here at Erndale when, when he was running late models, and um, he was always, he was always you know, a good competitive driver, you know, and like you said, you know, you give you know, give him some, some good equipment, and actually, he's in his own equipment. I think with this, with the Southwest Tour now, mm-hmm. and he's very competitive. I mean, he's fast every yep. week. It's just, it's just, you know, putting like he he said, you know what? It's just trying to put the complete weekend together, you know, to make something happen on on Saturday night on race night. Yep, it's it's all about 
<clears throat> you know, you got to have everything together. Everything's got to go right. Whether you know, and that's that, that that's to be said with local racing and all the way up to the Cup Series. You can have a great driver, but if you don't have, um, you know, the best car, the best crew chief, the, you know, the best crew, and, and you know, best spotter, and even a little bit of racing luck, you know, it's, it's hard to win one of those things. So, uh, but you know, you know, Jeff Burton was able to prove. Uh, you know that all the hard work and look, look at the sacrifices that Jeff Burton has made over the years uh, to try to stay in the sport. And obviously, he was rewarded this past weekend with a win in the Xfinity Series. And and I think that 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 um, those circumstances that Jeff Burton has gone through over the last I don't know you know six years, six to eight years or whatever is is exactly a situation with like Dylan Lupton where he Dylan's going to continue to fight hard for that opportunity to go and show people that he can win races in NASCAR. And and, and I think that. Jeff Burton's uh, victory on Saturday at Talladega Series Speedway uh, is just reassurance, you know, just like Josh Berry, is reassurance that if you're given that opportunity and, and all the blessings work out that uh, your way, that you can go out there and prove to everybody that you belong there. So um, those are two really good stories with Jeff Burton and Josh Berry, and I, I hope that we'll see a lot more of that this year. And it definitely gets hope to those guys that they're still trying to make it every year to, to push through it and don't quit. And, and if you believe that you can do it, then, uh, you know, that's 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 all you need to do to believe in yourself. Yeah. Well, thanks, Chris, for all that. And then with that, I'm going to turn it back over to Sharon. Okay. Dylan uh, Lupton, of course, is one of our uh, regulars. Uh, we always yeah. enjoy having Dylan back on the show. So anytime you're ready to have him uh, come back on with an announcement or whatever, we're ready to have him, Chris. Sure. Okay. Um, also, yeah, how could you not be happy for Jeb Burton this weekend, uh, winning his first Xfinity Series race? Uh, he earned that victory. He was running in the top all day. So whether yep. it was rain-shortened or not, I think he earned every bit of that victory. Yeah, he had, he had, he had put himself in that position to, you know, it's, it wasn't just a fluke where he was running 20th and then found himself up at the front when the, when the race got called for rain, he, you know, college racing has, you know, they, they were kind of a non-factor. I feel like at Daytona uh, in February, and then they came to play um, in, in, you know, this past weekend in Talladega, not only on the, on the Xfinity side with Jeff Burton and Justin Haley and um, um, AJ Allmendinger, but then, you know, on Sunday in the cup race with Cas Grallo. So uh, I, I think college racing has become uh, one of those superhero teams or super, super, you know, powerhouse teams, if you will, in, in the Xfinity Series, especially when it comes to super speedway racing. So I think if, if you're going to want to win uh, at Daytona in, in August or, or back at Talladega in October, you're going to have to get through those college racing cars. But, I mean, obviously, Jeff, it was a huge victory for Jeff Burton. I know he, he says he wants to win three or four more this season. It remains to be seen if that will happen, but if it does, um, if, it, if it does, great. If it doesn't, then he's obviously needed what he needs to do to put himself in a good position to be in the playoffs and that's where he'll be uh, come, uh, you know, this fall. Yeah, I couldn't be happier for him. I think I think that's fantastic. Um, and then, too, we had some Cup Series debuts this weekend. You mentioned Kaz Grala. I think he's raced in the Cup before. I'm not sure if he's raced yeah. at Talladega or not. But um, uh, he's a good super speedway racer, and I thought he had a good showing. And uh, Harrison Burton uh, had a good showing this weekend as well, I thought. Yeah, I thought Harrison Burton did a good job in uh, his debut with Comp Brothers Racing. Uh, of course, he had Chris Monez as a spotter, um, which I think was great. to see Chris Monez back in the NASCAR Cup Series after all that he's endured during the off season. 
and I thought that Harrison did a good job coming from the back and, and drafting his way to the front and getting experience, being around some of the, the um, some of the, you know the more predominant drivers in the Cup Series and finding himself having to work through drafting partners in different situations and whatnot, uh, and to come out of there with a clean top 20 finish, I think uh, could be considered a small victory for Harrison Burton. I'd like to see if he gets an opportunity maybe to do that uh, with with Con Brothers at, in Daytona uh, in August or maybe back in, in the fall at, at Talladega. But I thought re- realistically he did a good job, and, and obviously Kazrael Grala did a good job too for, for um Call it racing, you know, starting in the back and, and hanging in the back for most of the race. And then uh, when push came to shove and it was go time, he found himself in the right position. And, uh, and I think a lot of that goes to his spotter, Brett Griffin, who was obviously, I think, one of the good spotters on the super speedway. Yeah. Uh, and he was able to guide uh, Kaz Grala to uh, his second top ten in three cup races. Yeah, the spotters are such a big and important factor. They're, they're important at every racetrack, but at these super speedways, uh, they're really, really important, and and there's more than one spotter around the track because one spotter is not going to make it happen, right, Chris? Well, they have shifted from you know we used to have two spotters at Talladega. They used to have one on the front stretch and one on the back stretch, and they've actually just shifted to having just one spotter at Talladega Super Speedway. Oh, I think yeah, just having binoculars and being able to work out a system, it, it's worked out where you just have one spotter and. Uh, uh, but those spotters stay busy, and, and they definitely earn their money on, on super speedway racing. No doubt, uh, because that's a lot of track to keep your keep your eyes yeah. on. And uh, you're right; they do a, they do a really really good job. Uh, I want to get your thoughts about the truck series this year. Uh, a lot of interesting things going on there, and then I, we've been talking about the Xfinity Series and a little bit about Cup, but let's let's talk about the the Truck Series and your thoughts about uh, the racing there. Yeah, I think the the the, the, the racing in the Truck Series has been very good this year. Um, I think obviously Kyle Busch Motorsports has dominated the last several races, going back to you know Las Vegas when John Hunter won, and then uh, you know we had Atlanta, and then we had. Uh, the Bristol Dirt Race and then the most recent race at Richmond, you know, you had Kyle Busch, uh, you know, you had John Hunter win two races and Kyle Busch got one in there. And then Martin Truex stole the show in his uh, return to the truck series <laughs> on the Bristol Dirt. Um, but but I think, you know, this for Kyle Busch Motorsports, this is exactly what Kyle and, and I feel like the team wanted to do when they brought John Hunter and Nebuchadnezzar over there. They wanted to put a driver there that could go win to not only give an assessment of their program, but also give a confidence boost to the other drivers at KBM. I really feel like that Chandler Smith will find himself in victory lane at some point. And then obviously, you know, the 51 team is going to have a rotating list of drivers. And I think feel like that any time that someone climbs in that 51, they're going to have a shot to win as well. So, um, you know, I haven't seen the consistency or the strength that I wanted to see out of GMS uh, or even Nice Motorsports for that reason. I really feel like the, that those teams have, are kind of off at this point in the season and they have some work to do, but, you know, overall, I think Thor Sports done a great job uh, switching manufacturers again, going from Ford to Toyota, and they've really stepped up their game. It's nice to see Matt Kraft and Ben Rose already had two victories this season, and nice to see Johnny Sauter in the top, you know, in the top, uh, you know, the top ten, um, you know, here lately in the top five even. So uh, there's a lot of good storylines. Raphael Sark done, I think, a good job for GMS Racing, um, despite some hiccups within that program along the way. I think uh, Austin Wayne Self. Uh, for being a single-car team, you know, he's flirted with being in the top ten of points for most of the season, and I think he's done a really good job. So there's a lot of great storylines 
throughout the field and where some teams really need to pick up the pace and some teams that have really done a good job. Um, we're going to Kansas Speedway this weekend, and I think that's an opportunity where uh, – uh, it's going to be a, a great race where, you know, it's going to be under the lights and drafting is going to be key. And, uh, you know, the pressure is going to be on because they have one less truck race this season than they did last. And so the pressure to win and, and the opportunity to get your win and you're in uh, is closing for some of these truck series teams as we get deeper into the season. Yes, indeed. Uh, there's so much more I'd love to talk about, but we're running out of time. So we're at that point where we have to say goodnight, Chris. But uh, thank you so much for stepping in. It's always fun chatting with you and getting your perspective yeah. on things. So uh, we miss Joe. We'll have to see if we can reschedule him for another time. Yeah. Yeah, he wants to get rescheduled, so we'll get rescheduled. And like I said, I appreciate you guys having me on and, and uh, enjoy Kansas this upcoming weekend. Okay, will do. And you too. Be safe. Thank you. Okay. That is uh, Niter01 on Twitter. And uh, Chris always gives us some great perspective, uh, Sal. Yeah, yeah, he does. Uh, I always enjoy, you know, we've enjoyed talking with him. Actually, the second time we've had him this year. And, uh, you know, he's got mm-hmm. a lot of, uh, you know, a lot to say, which is which is um, always nice to uh you know, to catch up and, um, you know, see what's going on, you know, with the tracks, you know, just different, you know, just basically just talk about different, you know, different forms of motorsports and, you know, get us, you yes. know, to get another, another set of, another set of eyes per se, you know, mm-hmm. another perspective on it. Well, let's go ahead and get into our next uh, series, which is the Xfinity series. They raced this weekend at Talladega Super Speedway. We already mentioned that the number 10, Jeff Burton from Pollock Racing, won. It was his first Xfinity series career win. And uh, when the caution flag flew for a seven-car pileup on lap 86, NASCAR wasn't able to restart the race before rain hit the track. The race was 23 laps shy of going the full distance. Uh, but as we mentioned earlier, Jeff Burton definitely put himself in position and was running really well all day long uh, to get that victory, so it would be very much earned. Uh, Austin Sindrick in the number 22 finished second, followed by A.J. Allmendinger, uh, then Riley Earps, Ryan Seed rounds out the top five. Then it was Noah Gregson, the top finisher for the Dash for Cash, and then in the 68, Brandon Brown, Justin Haley, another college racing car, Myatt Snyder, and Harrison Burton uh, rounding up the top ten there in the Xfinity Series. Stage one was run by Justin Haley, the first of the season. Gregson won stage two, his second stage victory. There were 22 lead changes among 12 drivers and four cautions for 15 yellow flag laps. The average speed was 139.164 miles per hour. So any thoughts there uh, about uh, what happened at Talladega Super Speedway for the Infinity Series? Yeah, it was it was a very, very well-contested race. You know, once again, congratulations to Jeb Burton here on the win. Um, it's kind of funny because he didn't show any excitement, you know, even, even know, after they told him. You know, he was just like straight faced, you know, like Yeah. I don't know if he was in shock or what, but you know, it was it was good to see, you know, you see him get the win. Um, you know, then of course, you know, then when you went down, you know, to Austin Cedric and AJ Almendinger, 
you know, I was going to see right. It was going to see um, Riley catch that, catch that, um, catch that fourth spot. But for a while, it looked like while well, the beginning of the race, you know, Daniel Hamrick went out there, you know, showed his speed, you know, and you know, it looked like you know he was going to be there at the end. But once again, you know what they they knew they had an idea it might rain, but like they said, when the rain comes to Talladega, it just comes all quick. So I'm sure. I'm oh, sure they're kind of in a sense way prepping for it, but I, 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 and we know that it had to catch a lot of, a few of the drivers, um, you know, by surprise. Cause even Noah, Noah Gregson afterwards, he was kind of, you know, kind of bummed out, you know, about the, you know, not being able to, uh, you know, like he said, you know, to make, to be on the big screen and make the highlight real, you know, I mean, come on, dude, mm-hmm. get up there, you know, <laughs> You know what? What's the, the highlight reel was Jeb Burton. You know, yep, it you was. know, it come on, rain, was. come on, rain, come on, rain. Yeah, oh yeah, you come on, rain, <laughs> hurry up! I want it to rain. I want it to rain. You know, and but you and, know what? Uh, I think he would have yeah. been up there contending with, even without the rain. He was running in that oh, top yeah. five all day long, and I think that yeah, he, uh, he would have been up there contending for the win. Uh, it was the 30th annual Ag Pro 300. It was Jeff's first victory in 51 Xfinity Series starts. His first victory in six top ten finish this year. Tells you what kind of a great year he's having. Uh, it's also his first victory in second top ten finishes in three races at Talladega Super Speedway. Austin Sendrick posted his third top ten finish in five races at Talladega, and it's his seventh top ten finish this year. A.J. Allmendinger finishing third, had his second top ten finish in three races at Talladega. Ryan Vargas, who finished 30th, was the highest finishing rookie of the race, so uh, that was pretty cool for him. Uh, and it was also College Racing's third consecutive NASCAR Xfinity Series Talladega Super Speedway victory. Jeff Burton swept in 2020, and now Jeff, uh, Justin Haley, I mean, swept in 2020, and Jeff Burton uh, won the 2021 spring race. So uh, a lot of really good things happening in that that race. Yeah, it was. It was a. It was a. It was pretty neat to see. It, it seemed like, you know, because I, I, I didn't get to see the, the race. I forget we were, gosh, we were doing something. But then I came and watched it. It seemed like the race went pretty quick. It did. It did. They were you know, really you know, racing it, hard and throughout the entire race because of the rain. Yeah, and um, and also the fact, you know, there really, really wasn't, you know, that many, you know, big wrecks and stuff like that, too which is good, you know. Mm-hmm. So let's go ahead and go over our uh, points report, uh, the top 12 drivers and the, those that are below the cut line for the uh, Xfinity Series after Talladega Super Speedway. Okay, so then at the points we're looking at, uh, let me see, gosh, I just had it up. Here we go. Okay. Here we go, driver points. Okay, so so um, boom, boom. Uh, still leading the pack is is Austin Cedric with with uh, with his two race wins. Second is Daniel Hemrick. Third is Harrison Burton. Fourth, moving up to fourth is Jeb Burton. And fifth is Justin Haley. Justin Haley rounds off the top five. From the top five drivers, we have uh, 
like I said, Austin Cedric with two wins. And, uh, and then Jeb Burton picked up a win, so he basically locked himself into a playoff spot at the end of the season. So I'm sure that's going to take a lot of a lot of load off him, and we'll see how he performs the rest of the season. Because like um, Chris was just saying, you know, he you know he had talked about you know wanting you know to win more more than just this one race, and and that the mm-hmm. uh, college team is really starting to really flex their muscles and, and show you know that they're you know that they are a team to to contend with. Yeah, and then from there, then we go down. Twice. Yeah, and then from there, then we go down to six is AJ Allmendinger, seventh is Maya Snyder, eighth is Jeremy Clements, ninth is Justin Algaier, tenth is Noah Gregson, eleventh Brandon Jones, and twelfth is Brandon Brown, who got caught up in a wreck early early on and was kind of bummed out, you know, that he didn't you know have a better finish. Um. It was a real classy interview because he did mention that what car it was that kind of messed up his day. He just said it was a driver, and he knew who it was, but, you know, he kind of just played it off like that and let it go. And then th- uh, 13th is Riley Herbst right back there. Um, boy, he's got a he's got a mountain to climb. He's 15 points behind behind Brandon Brown now. So, But still with the good finish that he had it this past weekend, you know, he's, you know, he's still, you know, within striking distance. Um, the only thing we have to remember is that Josh Berry has a win who's 20th in points who will get seated up there. And Ty Gibbs will also get seated up there. So um, mm-hmm. right now the way it looks is that uh, actually Josh Berry is two points. If if Ty Gibbs is, is eligible for rookie of the year, it's going to be a close battle between Ty Gibbs and Josh Berry because Josh Berry is only two points behind um Ty Gibbs and they both have a win, so that means right. that's going to make it more exciting. Well, right now Ty Gibbs just has three races of the eight that the Xfinity Series has run. Josh Berry's run seven of those eight races, so he is definitely running for Rookie of the Year. Uh, I'm not sure about Ty Gibbs if Ty's just getting his feet wet this season, uh, but to have a victory already. Uh, is pretty impressive for him. Uh, and he, I think if he were to run more races, if they were able to get in enough races that he might be able to run for the championship, uh, I think they would have to make that decision fairly quickly and have a sponsorship to hold him up for the rest of the season. Um, but, yeah, he does have that one window, and it, it will be a story uh, to tell. Uh, as time goes on here, which direction he goes. Yeah, exactly, because he, he's either going to have to keep racing or he's going to have to stop racing because once he reaches that cut line, you know, then, then he's, he's fully committed. But, I mean, they already have a spot in the chase. So, you know, you kind of wonder, you know, how far he's going to take it. You know, if he's going to go and take it, you know, take it, you know, and, and accept that spot in the chase, you know, and, and along with that, you know, the possibility of also winning rookie of the year you know, at the same time, but gosh, you imagine five, mm-hmm. five races, five races in the, in the minus, in the black from all the other drivers. And here he is sitting 19, 19th in points over, <laughs> over a bunch of drivers that are, that have run all, all, um, you know, that all have run eight. All, um, all eight races. Yeah. So it's kind of, I mean, for sure. You, Oh yeah, if you're Ty Gibbs. You you almost have to just say, you know what, we're just gonna, you know, we're gonna go for it. You know, we have the we have the win already. You know what, and and um, 
but you know sponsorship and you know commitments you know with the other series that he's running also you know are going to play a big part yeah josh berry is also a part-time driver right now at junior motorsports i don't know if they're trying to work something out for him now that he has a win or not but uh he he is another potential driver to just place uh 11th or 12th uh in the series point standing so those drivers up there in those positions have to kind of be aware of that that uh, points alone may not make it happen for them. There's actually one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different winners in the Xfinity Series right now, including Ty Gibbs and Josh Berry, and uh, only 12 spots available. So that means that there's only five other spots uh, for drivers on points. And... uh, I think that's going to make it kind of interesting in that uh, bubble area that we talk about all the time. Uh, those drivers that want to jockey for the points to be above that cut line. Yeah, well, I mean, if you look, Josh Berry does have seven. He does have seven starts. So, yeah. um, and then from you know from what they were, with, I know what they've been talking about. You know, especially after his win. You know, that looks like, you know, he's going to be picking up sponsorship, you know, to possibly finish out this season. But, you know, Sharon, I'm, I'm trying to – I gosh, I can't remember. There was a driver that, that made the switch during the week from going from um, – he he booted his truck points Joey to Gates. the um, – there you go. Yeah, and he, he decided to move from Xfinity to trucks, right? No, or is from it uh, Cup to Xfinity. From Cup to Xfinity. Oh, from Cup to Xfinity. Yeah, there you go, yeah. Yeah, and I think there was another driver. I'm trying to think who it was. There was another driver that made that switch too, and I can't recall who it was right offhand. Maybe I can look for that and we can talk about that too. Uh, But, yeah, Joey Gates uh, decided to uh, go for points in the Xfinity Series uh, versus the Cup Series this year. So I thought that was interesting. Okay, so uh, the racing is exciting in this series. You know, playoff points are always important, too. That's why those stage wins are so important. Austin Sindrick right now uh, has the best stats when it comes to that. He's got the two race wins. He's got four stage wins, so that gives him four additional points for a total of 14 playoff points. Uh, Other drivers, Daniel Hemrick has three stage wins, but he doesn't have any wins yet, so he only has the three. And then you've got drivers like Jeff Burton, who just got a victory that gives him five playoff points, along with Myatt Snyder and uh, Justin Algauer, who both have wins as well. A.J. Allmendinger has, uh, in addition to the race win, he's got a stage win, so that gives him six points. Uh, but I think as the season progresses, we're going to see more and more of these drivers uh, going after those stage victories because those stage victories are going to mean a big deal. That one or two extra points they can get with stage victories could mean the difference in making the playoffs and not making the playoffs. Oh, yeah. I mean, we've, we've, we've seen it how, how well it's played out in the Cup Series with, the, um, uh, with Martin Truex Jr., who – you know, who 
the year that he won his championship, and he's able he was able to make it to every every round of the playoffs basically off of off of his um off of the playoff points that he had collected during the season. <clears throat> you know, he, wow. he made a point, you know, to you know to to get him. And I remember he was like, gosh, he was like, I mean, fifteen to twenty points higher, even 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 higher than that, you know, some of the other drivers. But uh, um, Austin Cedric, he's really got a lot of them. He's got a lot in the bag right now. And when you look up and down the line, you know, from the you know the top twelve drivers right now, and I mean, you look at Noah Gregson only with two, Brandon Jones with one, Jeremy Clements, Brandon Brown. And Harrison Burton, who's in third third place right now, they have zero. <laughs> you know, they don't have any playoff points, and and that's going to hurt them. Yeah, that's going to hurt. You know, when the when the playoffs start, it's oh, it's, it's going to hurt them. It's going to hurt them really bad. Uh, then you go down to Ty Gibbs, who's who's got six. So basically, him and um, him and him and AJ Allmendinger are sitting second, and you know, as far as the playoff points are, you know, six, but they're still eight behind. Austin Cedric, you know, who has 14. But, you know, you kind of wonder, you know, what if what if Ty Gibbs had run all eight races? How many playoff points would he have already picked up? How many wins possibly? You know, where, where would he be in the standings? Yeah, exactly. Uh, you you got to wonder that uh, at this point. Uh, we'll have to kind of... Again, it's a story waiting to be told. We just kind of have to wait and see what ends up happening here. Uh, but even if he comes back next year as a champion, as a as a rookie, and runs for rookie of the year and the championship, you, you got to think that with what we've seen in just three races this year, he's going to be a championship contender if he races uh, Xfinity Series full time next year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's going to be um it's going to be a real exciting season next year. You know what? And then you know you look up and down the down the um up and down the list, and you wonder who's going to be coming back to uh, Xfinity. You know, for another for no, for another go at it. You know, who's going to move up? Who's going to move down? Well, we know it's, that it's going to be um, Austin Cindric isn't coming Cindric. back. He's going to be in that oh, yeah. twenty-one next year. Yeah. Uh, Wood Brothers. You know, but you got guys, you know, like Noah Gregson, you know, who's already, you know, it's what, in his second year in Xfinity. Mm-hmm. You know what? I mean, is he going to be ready to move up? And if he does, what team is he going to move in? What team is he going to move up to? Because everybody was talking, you know, about him, you know, moving to Hendrick. But Hendrick, their stable is, their stable is full. Mm-hmm. You know, they they got their, Hendrick has, they're, they're set with their four drivers. Um, Stuart Haas exactly. Racing. You know, he, he would have to move to a Ford, but I don't see Noah moving to a Ford. I see him staying with Chevy, you know. So, I mean, where does that put Noah if, if possibly JR Motorsports decides they're going to open up a, you know, they're going to they're going to um, start a cup team next year, you know, and pick up one of the charters, you know, is, is Noah one of their drivers or does or does uh, uh, Earnhardt, you know, look elsewhere? Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see uh, how next season shapes up. Uh, Silly season always starts a little earlier than ever every year. It seems like it gets earlier and earlier. Um, But, Sal, let's go ahead and move over to the Cup Series because uh, 
The Cup Series also raced uh, this week at Talladega, and uh, that was an exciting race as well. Uh, they did have beautiful weather for the Geico 500 this weekend. And uh, let me see here. I want to get to my info here. Uh, they, you know, it's always uh, rain kind of plagued uh, the Xfinity Series a little bit, although it was minimal when you think about it. It didn't delay the race or anything. Uh, but it did kind of shorten it by 23 laps. Uh, in the uh, Cup Series, it was Brad Keselowski uh, coming up with a victory despite sustaining some damage in the early wreck and despite leading only one lap, the last lap of the Geico 500. Uh, it was an overtime victory in the 10th event of the NASCAR Cup Series season and surging to the front on the final lap after fellow driver, uh, fellow Ford driver, Matt DiBenedetto, abandoned the bottom line. Uh, he was trying to block uh, the other line and, in, in essence, opened the door for Brad Keselowski uh, to uh, run to the front. So Keselowski claimed his first victory of the season, the 35th of his career, and the 6th at Talladega Super Speedway, tying Jeff Gordon and Dale Earnhardt Jr. for the second most all-time at the 2.66-mile track. So uh, that was pretty exciting. Uh, The win is the first of the year for him and uh, his 35th career win. William Byron finished second, followed by Michael McDowell, Kevin Harvick, Matt DiBenedetto, Kyle Sprala, Tyler Reddick, Austin Dillon, Ryan Blaney, and Cole Custer rounds out the top ten. Uh, a light caution for debris forced the race to end in an overtime. Uh, and, uh, it, again, Harrison Burton making his Cup Series debut, finished in 20th. The pole sitter, Denny Hamlin, had to start at the rear for unapproved adjustments. Uh, but then he was caught speeding on pit road twice and gotten involved in an accident, he ended up finishing 32nd. Stage one was won by Matt DiBenedetto. Stage two was won by uh, Bubba Wallace. There were 35 lead changes among 17 drivers, seven cautions for 34 yellow flag caution laps, and the average speed was 147.62 miles per hour. Okay, let me see if I missed any other uh, points here. Chase Briscoe finished 11th. He was the highest finishing rookie of the race, and it was Team Penske's 10th NASCAR Cup Series victory at Talladega Super Speedway. It was also the 31st time that Ford has won the Cup Series race at Talladega Super Speedway. Uh, So a lot of uh, great things happening for drivers and teams as well as manufacturers at Talladega this weekend. Yeah, it was. You know, and it's it's it was kind of kind of funny because both both the first two stages ended on on yellow flags because the first yes, one ended when did. when Joy Logano when Joy Logano had his um had his flip, you know, and, and man, uh, Joy's comments after after the flip was pretty. You know, he said he was he felt like um. He said he felt like Ryan Newman, you know, like because Bubba Wallace, I mean, a oh, split yeah. second, and Bubba would have Bubba would have ran right into him. You know, Bubba was lucky, you know, that the car only, you know, bounced, you know, scraped off, yeah. the, you know, off of his car a little bit. 
But um, you know, yeah, Joe, you know, kind of kind of talked about that. It was scary, you know, and um, he said the roll ball you know, was on top of his head. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a crazy race, but um, you know, to see Brad get the wig, you know, and also tie uh, Dylan Hart Jr. and um, gosh, I forget who the other the other driver was, uh, you know, for the for those Talladega wins. Um, you know, he you know he spoke uh, um, a lot about it. I thought Matt. Uh, uh, I thought that um, Di uh, Benedetto was going to get the win. He he was strong all day, and and you know, like he said, you know, he he made the wrong move, you know, right there at the end, and you know, cost him the win. But um, you know, and then Kaz Grala with the sixth place win. Gosh, you know, I mean, this is I think this is Kaz's second top top ten finish on a on a plate track, if I'm not mistaken. Wow, that's pretty cool too. Um, do you want to go over the points report? Uh, I'm kind of uh, wrapped up with a side thing going on here. <laughs> so if you can do the points now, that would be great. Yeah. Okay. Driver points. Uh, we're still seeing um, Denny Hamlin still in first with uh, zero race wins. Um, second is Martin Truex with two race wins. Joy Logano in third place with one race win. William Byron in fourth with one race win. Ryan Blaney in fifth. That rounds out the top five with one race win. Uh, Martin Truex Jr., once again, we were just talking about him earlier with the, with the playoff points. He's, uh, he leads the, um, he leads the Cup Series with 11, with the 11 playoff points, two wins, and the, and the one stage win. Um, going down from there, we got Brad Kozlowski in sixth, Kevin Harvick in seventh, Chase Elliott in eighth, Kyle Larson in ninth with the win, Chris Bell in tenth with the win, Kyle Busch in eleventh, twelfth is Austin Dillon, thirteenth is Michael McDowell. Boy, he's still holding strong there in the thirteenth spot. Fourteenth, mm-hmm. Alex Bowman. Fifteenth, Ricky Stenhouse. And sixteenth is Chris Buescher with a uh, – Let's see, Chris Busher, yeah, rounds out the top 16. And Matt D. Benedetto is uh, is right there, uh, was he, 12, 12 points behind Chris Busher for the 16th spot. Yeah, this is, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> uh, you know, we were talking about this uh, last week, Sal. If you think about it, with, with nine different winners, Denny Hamlin, who right now is in that number one spot, moves down to 10th place. He could be the regular season champion and start the playoffs in 10th place because of the number of different winners we've had so far. There's only 16 spots left. I mean, six spots left out of the 10 drivers that have won so far and the 16 spots that are available. Yeah, there's there's still a couple drivers. I mean, we're still looking at Kevin Harvick who doesn't have a win, Chase Elliott who's you know who's good for a win, and Kyle Busch is still on that losing that losing streak, you know, all the way from you know a year and a half, you know, a year and a half ago, you know, not winning a race, you know. So Kyle Busch is another one, you know, that we can look, you know, you know, look to to mm-hmm. possibly grab a win. Kurt Busch is always good for a win every year. And other than that, you know what? There could be some surprises looking looking down all the way to, you know, all the way the rest of the way down. I mean, um, you know, uh, 
Cole Custer could pick up another win. You know, he's 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 really, you know, I, I Tyler think Reddick too. I think with yeah Tyler Reddick. I think with Cole, it's just you know not having that practice. You know that you know those few practices they have and qualifying that that's hurting him and Reddick. It's hurting a lot of drivers. You know, mm-hmm. you know when you look up down the board, Eric Amarillo still you know twenty six way out. You know, way out in the yeah, you know, point stand. You know, he, he was running pretty good at Talladega. Uh, yeah, I he think, was. I'm I'm curious to see what he does at uh, Kansas because I've seen some glimmers that maybe Shorthouse Racing is starting to to turn the ship around here and uh, start to get some better results from the first uh, several races of the season. Exactly. You know, it's that's so true. You know, you see um, Kevin Harvick. You know, like I said, sitting in seventh place. You know, without a win, and it's not like Kevin to go. You know, the first ten races of the season, you know, without a race. You know, same thing with Danny Hamlin. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, see both of them. You know, they were they were they were, they were the powerhouses last year. You know, each exactly. Had wins. You could have Danny Hamlin finishing uh, in eleven or starting the playoffs in eleventh place. Uh, that would put Kevin Harvick in 12th, Chase Elliott in 13th, uh, Kyle Busch in 14th, Austin Dillon in 15th, and Ricky Stenhouse Jr. and Chris Buescher, uh rounding out the, the, the list there with drivers uh, that could make the playoffs on, on points. But they're starting way back from what you would expect for especially – uh, the regular season champion. When was the last time we've seen a regular season champion start the playoffs in the 11th place? And I think the more this goes on, uh, whoops, we lost Sal. I think the more, the longer it goes on with different winners, I think the the further back we're going to see Denny Hamlin start uh, in the playoffs. So, Sal, what are your thoughts about Benny Hamlin starting in the 11th place when the playoffs begin, and possibly even further back if we continue to get more different winners? Well, too, we also have to take into account <clears throat> how many playoff points is he going to pick up, you know, between now and then if the, if he does if he does happen to go win. Yeah, but if he season. doesn't have a win, if he doesn't have a win, he still starts behind all those drivers that have wins. Yeah, that's true. So, um, I, I, it's, it's going to be interesting. It's, it's going to be interesting. Um, I, I think he will be the regular season champ uh, because he's he's got a pretty serious points lead, 87 points over Martin Truex Jr. Uh, so, it, it looks good for him to be the fairy, the season champion. Uh, but unless he gets a win between now and when the season ends, uh, there's a good chance he's going to start back in the back in the pack when the playoffs begin. Gee, imagine seeing him and Kevin Harvick and uh, him, yes, Kevin exactly. Harvick and, and uh, who else? Well, Kim, well Kevin Harvick uh, and Chase Ke- Elliott. Chase Elliott, and last year's defending champ. Yeah, and and Kyle Busch. Yeah. Back there, but but I mean, you know, there, we we have we have seen we have seen it before where the where like last year's champ did make the playoffs the following year, the next year coming back. Yes. We yeah, have seen that, that before. So before. I mean, yeah, it has happened before. So um, anything can happen. And I don't know. I don't know what's going on with Kyle Busch. He's just, you know, 
you know, you expect to be a lot more stronger. Danny Hamlin, you know, of course, leading the points, but still you expected a win from Danny. We know that Stuart Haas Racing, you know, seemed like it seemed like they're having, you know, their, their you know, you know, their, their car problems, you know, a little bit earlier in, early in the year. So, you know, I guess all we got to do is just wait it out and see what happens, you know, with, you know, as the season progresses with Stuart Haas Racing, you know, with, uh, um, with uh, Kevin, um, Kevin, Eric, and uh, um, Cole and uh, Custer. And now we're rolling. Yeah. Yeah, now yeah, we're rolling. It is going to be interesting. Stage wins, of course, uh, give you some points. But when you win the race, you get five points for winning a race, uh, for playoff points. So uh, I think as this season continues, we're going to see, just like I was saying with the Xfinity Series, I think we're going to see. Uh, the intensity ramp up, Sal, uh, for those guys going after those stage points. Uh, and I know it's just one point for a stage win, but if you can rack up a few of those, you give yourself three or four extra points uh, that can make the difference in your standing when the playoffs begin. Exactly. You know what? And, and you know, I mean, <laughs> you know, when, when you look up and down at the – at, at the rookies, you know, where all the rookies are standing right now, you know, the, the so far the highest rookie is a Stuart Haas racing driver, you know, it's just Chase Briscoe and Anthony Alfredo are battling it out, you know, in the 28th mm-hmm. and 29th spot. You know, last year we seen, yeah. um, we seen Cole Custer pick up that one win, you know, that, you know, put him into the playoffs, you know, and, and locked him into the rookie of the year. But the way it's looking this year, Chase Briscoe and Anthony Alfredo, you know, they're, they're, um, Actually, Chase has a 55-point lead over over at the Alfredo the way, the way they're the way they're sitting right now. Mm-hmm. That is true. Uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, again, I can't wait for the next uh, 16 races here uh, because the, when the playoffs begin, it, it, the intensity ramps up and it gets even more exciting. Uh, but I like seeing all the different winners this season and seeing drivers like Josh Berry and Jeb Burton in the Xfinity Series come up with victories. Uh, you know, that, that I think does make it all the more exciting. And NASCAR's uh, tagline this year is the best season ever. And I think it's really building up to be just exactly that. Yeah, it is. You know, in, in, in all the series, you know what, it, it's looking like that because – you know, we're not seeing the powerhouses, you know, you know, basically dominate, you know, which which was, you know, which was, you know, the norm that we have been seeing, you know, but, you know, we're starting to see, you know, a lot more, um, you know, a lot more of the, you know, the other teams, you know, kind of, you know, kind of, um, kind of take over, you know, what, and, and you know, flex a muscle. Yes. <laughs> and uh, I think that's good. Uh, also, they're going to be unveiling, uh, I think it's May 5th, they're going to be unveiling the new 2022 cars, and there's supposed to be another announcement that goes along with that, Sal, uh, a mystery announcement, if you will, uh, and I'm curious as to what that might be, uh, but I'm anxious to see those, the new 2022 car. They say they're going to look more like the street cars. Yeah, we'll see what, we'll see how they look. I mean... <laughs> 
man, I'll, I'll never forget when the first generation COT came out and it had that big old ugly wing <laughs> and the ugly front spoiler. And I was like, what the heck? It looked like it, it reminded me of one of those, um, uh, it reminded me of one of those, um, one of those, uh, rice burners that you see, you know, street racing. <laughs> Yep. Well, thank goodness we're past that. And uh, I'm hoping that this is a good change uh, for NASCAR. Uh, We've seen some fantastic racing. I hope it doesn't change the fact uh, that we are seeing some fantastic racing. And we're seeing drivers like Joe Graff Jr. race up in the top 10 at Talladega and Josh Berry to win the race and, and, uh, Jeff Burton coming up with his first victory in the Xfinity Series. Uh, uh, Matt DiBenedetto came so close again to getting his his victory in the NASCAR Cup Series. I I think that's fun to watch. We love to root for the underdog. Yeah, you know it's it's always you know good to see you know the underdogs run well you know and you know what and not only at the plate tracks you know because like everybody says you know. You know, play track, you know, you just have to put yourself in the right spot at the right time. You know, um, mm-hmm. I know a lot of fans say, you know, it's, it's not really racing, you know, because, you know, because of the way they, they race. But, you know, uh, the drivers don't look at it that way. They look at it, you know, hey, a win's a win. You know, I don't care how I get it, you know, whether it's a play track or an intermediate well, or, a, you know, or even a, a road, you know, only, a road course ringer. Not only that, Sal, but there is a lot of strategy and teamwork that it has to be in play and everything going right in order to be in the right position at the right time at those super speedways. So uh, that's what I enjoy kind of watching play out. You know, which cars are going to take the two tires, which cars are going to take the four tires, and when is a good a good idea to take two tires, and when is it not a good idea to take just two tires. Uh, Those are all things that make the race a little bit more interesting to me at the super speedway. So even though I know Tony Stewart used to say a monkey could drive a car at at, uh, Daytona or Talladega, but uh, the monkey needs to have somebody calling the shots and developing the strategy for what to do. So uh, I think there's a lot more to it than just you know, an easy ride around the track for 500 miles. Yeah, you know, and even even Brad said, you know what, he was a man with a plan. You know what? Yes, and, he, um, was. He, he You know what, and, and he had a plan on how he was going to win this race, you know what, and he, he, um, he, uh, you know, he did what he had to do, and, and you know what, and, and uh, you know, uh, it was you know it was, it was just it was just amazing. You know, and, you know the way he played it all. You know the way everything played out. So, um, you know, it's it's um, you know, like you said, you know, so it's all strategy. You know, especially these play tracks. I mean, you know, you just can't. You know, you need a you need a drafting partner. You know what? You need someone's going to push. Mm-hmm. You know, someone's you know someone's going to want to be pushed and. And uh, if it's not your teammate, you know whoever's pushing you, you have to have a lot of faith, and you have to have a you have to have a lot of trust in them. They're not going to push you into the wall or anything like that. Yep, you know who your friends are, and you know who your enemies are when you're racing on super speedways. That's for sure. So. Oh yeah, that so is for sure. 
you are, you said you're going to be at a racetrack this weekend. Yeah, this weekend I'll be up at um, Stockton for the. Um, I'll be up at uh, Stockton for the um, uh, for the um, SRL Tour race. Uh, we're running the, the tour cars and we're running the um, the uh, pronates this this Saturday up in Stockton. So I'll I'll be taking the oh that'll be fun. five six hour five hour six five six hour trip up there and and um be able to get out and finally finally get some pictures and and do a little bit of uh photography this weekend it's going to be nice finally getting yep. back to back to 100 percent well take care of yourself safe travels to you sal and uh i guess we'll look forward to talking to you next week and i hope you have a good time at the track uh stockton is it raceway stockton raceway yeah it's raceway speedway and uh, I, I hope you see some good racing. I'm sure you will if it's the SRL. Oh yeah, we will. Uh, hopefully, and hopefully, <laughs> maybe see Derek pick up win number fifty-two. There you go. Derek is only more than that. Now you can. More than that, I'm hoping we can get him on. Gosh, this guy's just—he's just not doing nothing. He's so busy. At that, he just—I I don't know. Ever since, ever since the. Um, Finishing second in the Snowball Derby last year, it's kind of like he just kind of—I don't know if he's just staying away or what. I—I I gotta talk to—I'm gonna talk to him more this weekend. We get a chance, and and hopefully we—you know—we can get him back on the show again. Yeah, that would be great. I always enjoy talking to Derek and uh, uh, catching up with uh, what he's up to and what he's doing. I know his—he's uh, got a child that's got to be getting up there in some age too. Is is uh, his uh, child going to be racing? Hud, actually, Hudson was at the he was at the last race over here at um he was at the last race over here at Erdell. Um Derek's Derek's dad brought him to the um, brought him to the okay. race. So it, was, it was cool to see him. I hadn't, I hadn't seen him in a while, but I know he was I know he was with at Kern for the winter showdown. He was with them. Okay. Well, Sal, again, safe travels to you, and we'll look forward to talking to you again next Monday night here on Fan for Racing Radio. Okay. Good night, everybody. Have a safe weekend, and we'll see you next Monday night. Okay. Take care now. All right. That was uh, Sal Segala, our co-host for the first 90 minutes, and now we have, uh, I know it's Jay Huseman that's here. Welcome to the show, Jay. Uh, thank you, Sharon. Uh, glad to hear Sal's getting out to some tracks there on the West Coast. I know he's been uh, chomping at the bit, uh, starting to allow people in and fans as well. You know, even even the photographer, they can feel that uh, that uh, just that of having the fans there of how much energy. difference that makes. Energy, yeah, exactly. there's a good word. Exactly. Also joining us, I believe, is Michael Orzel. Welcome to the show, Mike. Heyo. Okay. Uh, Andy was supposed to be here uh, tonight, but he sent me a text saying uh, he got his COVID shot today, and he's not feeling real good right now. So he's going to bow out for tonight. So we hope he feels better again real soon and uh, that he uh, gets past that uh, in the next day or so. Uh, I did go out to Owen. Owen's not available tonight. I've got a message. Let me see. 
I've got a message here. I went out to uh, Tommy Kraft as well, uh, but I don't think uh, Tommy's responded yet. If he gets a chance and can still call in, uh, that would be great. But uh, right now, I don't think he's seen the message yet. So it sounds like it's just going to be the three of us here tonight. Well, hopefully, uh, hopefully, like you said, Andy doesn't feel a little bit better. I don't know if this was his first shot or his second shot. I know my mom just went through it. Uh, she said the first one was okay. The second one did knock her down a little bit for like a, a day, day and a half. So hopefully Andy, uh, Andy gets through it as well. Yeah, it kind of knocked me out uh, uh, for a day or so as well. I had to delay my trip because of it. Um, but uh, I'm glad I'm past it. Let's just put it that way. Um, Mike, do you want to start us off on uh, hot topics here tonight? Sure. So we had uh, we had some great racing this weekend at Talladega, but there were two really scary wrecks. The first one was during the General Tire 200, where we saw Derek Lancaster make really hard contact with the outside wall on the back stretch. The car caught on fire and uh, came to a stop in turn three. Derek did get extracted from the car, but was airlifted to Birmingham, where he's still in the hospital. Latest update from his wife via social media says he's still on a ventilator, will be for probably another 24 hours or so, and he's being treated for third degree, second and third degree burns on his arms, neck, and face. So we wish Derek the best and hope for a speedy recovery. And the other scary one was uh, Joey Logano going for a flip also in turn three at Talladega this weekend. And if you haven't seen it yet, Joey posted a couple pictures on his Instagram where there was some pretty significant bending on the roll cage in the driver's side window there. So kind of some interesting things to look at, especially in light of Ryan Newman's crash at Daytona last year. Yes, indeed. Uh, we did mention Derek Lancaster's uh, incident earlier in the show and uh, certainly sent along our best wishes for a, uh, re- a speedy recovery for him. I know he's got a long haul there, but uh, I'm sure hoping uh, that everything goes well for him. So, Jay, uh, you go ahead and give your thoughts, and then I'll continue with mine. Well, both of them, as I see it, both of them are uh, fortunate that they that they are okay. Obviously, uh, Lancaster, they're going to have to go through a little bit more with the burns. Um, but Joey did reiterate in, in his interview, you know, he was okay, uh, fortunate for what they're calling the Newman roll bar, uh, although there's always room for improvement. Uh, going back to with Lancaster's, and, and this is from an outside looking in, uh, being around racing, so I have some knowledge. It's not like I'm shooting from the hip, but the more they develop the safety of the seat, the uh, and the LaJoy, uh, I can't think of the word. It's not compact, but the more secure seat, you run into the problem of how quickly you can get out of the car. Along with that window net, the, the smaller window, I know, and that's for aerodynamic, which then prevents the car from getting in the air if it gets spun around. So one thing's kind of leading to another, and hopefully NASCAR takes a look at that, Inside, I know at dirt tracks you have to carry the inside a, a fire extinguisher and compression system. I don't know what they have at the NASCAR level for that, but that's another thing to look at to try and get some of that uh, settled down before they before the safety crews can get there or the driver can get out. Uh, you know, we've seen that in a, in a couple of situations in the past. Uh, with Joey Logano, I know he he made some comments. He he said he thinks it's unsafe, and you know. We're, we're pushing the limit and maybe need to change it. I, I don't know what 
what to say other than don't race at those. And I, and I listen to Sirius XM throughout the day, you know, as well as I do. That's not the answer uh, either, as that, that is some of the biggest and most popular racing to include the Daytona 500. I think back, I know Sharon and I are kind of in the minority of the two-car draft when they had the car set up so that, it, that the two-car tandem is what worked best. But we also saw some accidents there, because if I'm not mistaken, that was when uh, Brad Keselowski and Carl Edwards got together coming to the finish. You know, there, there's, I don't see that there is a way to prevent that. Even going back to Bill Elliott setting the, the speed record of 212, making up three laps. It's one car. I do think they need to get to where one car can run by itself and you don't have to run in the pack. And I caught the tail end of what you and Sal were talking about there of the pack racing and the pushing and the bumping. Um, if there is a way we can get away from that, uh, but then you have one car that's going to wreck at a lot higher speed, so what's the trade off? You know, uh, it's a tough call to make. And, you know, I think NASCAR is continuing continually looking at what they can do to make it safer. And we know that's true in the case of Ryan Newman and Joey Logano. They did were able to get out of the car and be okay. Uh, so obviously it is a good thing from that side. Yes, indeed. It is a good thing from that end. And, and uh, Joey Logano, uh, I, I applaud him for bringing awareness. Uh, as uh, you know, that they do call that the Newman roll bar. I think they added a roll bar in the um, in the uh, stock car in, that they call the Newman roll bar. He thought that there should be additional reinforcement there. But uh, after seeing those pictures uh, that were posted earlier today, I do think that they need to reinforce those roll bars. Uh, that had to be uncomfortable for for uh, Joey Logano, he said that he could feel the roll bar on his head, the helmet on, but imagine the pressure of that roll bar with the helmet on his head. Uh, that, that, that was some added pressure to his head uh, from the damage from that roll bar. So, you know, that could cause some very serious injuries, and I do think that they've got to come up with a way to reinforce that. Now, it's been a while we saw Ryan Newman go airborne. Uh, it was so scary looking at uh, uh, Joey Logano being airborne from uh, from Bubba Wallace's number 23. Uh, that you know, you see that car coming at you, uh, flipping over uh, is very scary, and uh, it, it could have caused some damage to some other drivers. Uh, being airborne like that. Now, NASCAR at one time did some things to make sure that the cars don't go airborne, and uh, I think it had to do with the flaps. Whatever they did, they need to go back and consider that again because uh, the scariness of uh, Ryan Newman's airborne situation and then Joey Logano's airborne uh, situation, I think merits uh, another look at what they can do to keep those cars on the track and not up in the air like that. Uh, so I'm sure NASCAR is doing all of that, uh, especially after Joey's comments. Uh, they don't want the drivers to feel uncomfortable or not safe in those cars. And uh, they have a reputation for working with drivers in these kinds of situations to improve the safety, and I trust that NASCAR 
will indeed be doing that. Now, Derek Lancaster's situation, that was very scary. I've not seen a fire incident like that ever, I don't think. I mean, that was very, very scary. So, again, I hope they're looking at what caused that and doing some things for the future to make sure that something like that never happens again. Uh, Because Derek, uh, as we've mentioned, does have uh, some healing to do that's going to take a while. I know he wants to be back in the race car, and it's going to be a happy day when we do see him come back to the track. So um, uh, NASCAR, I'm sure, uh, along with ARCA, are going to be doing their due diligence in making these cars, continuing to make these cars safer. I hope we never take it for granted uh, that these cars are safe uh, and don't continue to improve, as you mentioned, Jay. So, Michael, I'm curious to know your thoughts. A quick answer to Jay's question. Yes, um, NASCAR does mandate that there is an onboard fire suppression system. I believe it's a 10-pound bottle, but I could be wrong on that. And that uh, that bottle is plumbed to the engine compartment as well as the driver compartment. Now, the system needs to be manually triggered. So if the driver's incapacitated in a wreck, they won't be able to trigger the, the fire suppression system on their own. I believe it can be triggered by outside safety workers, but then again, they're probably running up to the car with a 20-pound bottle and a couple of them at that. So using the onboard suppression at that point is not really, um, you know, it, it, there's better options at that point. Uh, with regard to the trade-off between uh, the safety and enclosure of the car versus extraction. Jay, you make an excellent point. You're 100% spot on, and it pains me to say that. But <laughs> you, you could make a, a, a 100% solid sealed-up steel box, and it'd probably be the safest enclosure for the driver. But then if something happens like Derek Lancaster's wreck, they got to get out of get a, get him out of there real quick. And kind of the scary combination would be a combination of Joey Logano and the Lancaster crash where you've got a deformed roll cage, potentially a damaged seat, and now a fire situation where you have to get the driver out immediately. And that's kind of a worst-case scenario, and even worse is if the car lands upside down. I, I don't know what the solution to that is. It is. There's a lot smarter people than me uh, who can engineer that a, little, a lot better. I'm not an engineer, and, Jay, you established last week, I'm not even very good at basic math. Um, so there's a lot smarter people than me working on it. But that trade-off between – um, enclosure and security versus being able to rapidly get the driver out. They, there's got to be a balance between those two, and, and one is going to have to give to the other in one way or the other. So they're going to they're going to need to kind of sort out which one's a higher priority. Okay, Jay, you follow up. Well, and, and here's the thing with that: of unfortunately, it generally takes something like this in order for them to look at it. Uh, no matter what they come up with and develop, again, you might see some side effects of it that they don't realize, even as smart as these people are. Like Mike said, there are some smart people that are looking into this. I guarantee it. Um, but you can't, just like tracks, when you talk about where to put the safer barrier. Oh, they think a car would never get there, and a car finds a way to get there. You know, how Ryan Newman got hit, uh, we hadn't seen before, and it was just the right angle of his car upside down and another car coming along. You can't possibly possibly simulate or anticipate everything. So, you know, for, well, I'm sure they'll take uh, Joey Logano's car and look at it just like they did with Ryan Newman's and see what they feel they can do better to keep it reinforced. 
but then it, you look at okay, what what other issues might this cause, or what uh what might it more prevent weight. in the case of trying trying to get into the car? Yeah, you know, the more you reinforce the bars, then if there's a, a problem with the driver being trapped, they got too many bars, you can't get through it to get to the driver. You know, so I mean, there's so much to look at, and NASCAR has come such a huge huge way. And, and I know, Sharon, one of your favorite, Jeff Burton, is one, a big component of it uh, from the safety side. So they have drivers involved uh, like that as well as other experts. Um, I think they will continue to develop that. The on-tracks, uh, keeping the cars from getting airborne or spacing them out, I mean, you know, and we've seen that with the package, with the spoiler, different things they are trying to provide good on-track racing their product, as well as be safe and, and from that aspect. So, uh, you know, Mike said it, it's always a balancing act, and, and they got some smart people working on it. And and I hate to say it, being that he was involved in a wreck, but it, uh, Mike said something else, too, of generally, I mean, have we heard Joey say anything about safety or the wrecks when he's not the one in them? That, you know, generally it's the one that's on the hook that has the comments about how it's, you know, racing we shouldn't be doing. I don't think I heard him say that after he won the Daytona 500. Yeah, you bring up a good point. But uh, he does have a, a microphone at this point uh, with this incident. And, and I do I do think that NASCAR is listening and they are already kind of on it, if you will, and doing what they need to do. I don't really have a whole lot to add here. I think you guys make some uh, really excellent points. Uh, now, the one thing question I had when you said that they mandate uh, that safety equipment in the car, Mike, uh, it, that's for the NASCAR series, or does that include the Arkham Menard series? I'm not sure about the Arkham Menard series. I'm pretty confident that that's included as well, especially since now they fall under the NASCAR umbrella. Um, this is anecdotal from talking to guys who've built these cars. I don't have a rule book in front of me. I don't have a reference to anything written on that. So if I'm incorrect in some of the stuff I, I quoted there, please, somebody more knowledgeable than me, correct us so we get the right information out. But that's, that's the understanding as I remember it. And I believe it applies to all the major NASCAR touring series to include the Arkham Menard series now. Okay. That was the only question that I had. So what's your follow-up, uh, Mike, other than that? Well, Jay's right. They're, they're, I'm, I'm sure NASCAR is going to take a really close look at both the uh, the Lancaster car as well as the Logano car and see if there's anything that can be done to improve safety. It appears that there was some sort of an oil line that got damaged on Derek Lancaster's car, and that fire was uh, the engine oil burning uh, it made contact with probably something in the exhaust system and, and caught fire, and that was the oil burning there. So if there's any way that they can make the oil system a little bit more protected and, and prevent that oil spillage from catching on fire in a future crash, I think that's something that definitely should be looked at. Uh, what I hope they don't do is just some sort of a knee-jerk, uh, you know, do something kind of reaction where, oh, well, we're just, we're going to make a little bit smaller tapered space and slow the cars down five miles an hour. I don't think we need to have that, that, feeling that we must do something if that something isn't going to produce tangible results to the better. I disagree with Joey Logano that something fundamentally needs to change about these plate races. 
they're just too much fun to watch. It's entertaining for the fans. It's it's some of the best ratings I believe that NASCAR sees outside of kind of the the crown jewel races. They even ran the Xfinity Series race on Big Fox this year just because those plate races bring in so much attention versus some of the other races. So I don't think that something fundamentally needs to change there. But if something in the investigation of those cars reveals that, hey, we can brace this bar a little bit better or we can we can weld this up differently, I'm all for that so long as it produces a result to the good. Absolutely. Okay, Jay, uh, you get to bring up the next hot topic for us. Well, uh, not that I want to see it necessarily, but I'm wondering if maybe we see some further penalties here come midweek as all of the Toyotas, except for Kyle Busch, uh, had to go to the rear. Something, and I didn't catch it, and uh, maybe one of you two can fill me in. Ironically, I couldn't find a whole lot of information on it today, but the space uh, where the sidebar, the A-frame, A-bar is, and the rear view mirror, and the one other mirror, uh, within those cars. Now, I don't know if it, it strictly was a positioning thing and that once they moved it, they were good to go. Obviously, NASCAR let them race. But whether or not there'd be any more penalties and to see it across the board from a manufacturer like that, with the exception of Kyle Busch. I don't want Kyle Busch to be labeled a cheater, so Kyle Busch was clean. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, Mike, your thoughts? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I was at the track, and I wasn't really plugged into the uh, the finer details. I wasn't scrolling through Twitter or anything. I just saw that they were starting in the back, and this is the first that I'm hearing about the reasoning behind it beyond just unapproved adjustments. Um, so with regard to that, I really don't know. And as far as penalties go, we see this every – not every time, but fairly frequently where you're going to have some sort of a trend among a whole team or among a manufacturer group. So I don't think this merits any kind of special consideration or dropping a hammer on anybody. Now, if they show up to the next race, next race the next week and they got the same issue, now that's another thing to discuss. But right now, based on just what I've heard so far regarding the issue, I don't think it merits anything special. Follow the rule book and take it from there. Okay, there you go. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, <laughs> you're going to have to remind me what the topic was. I was, uh, diverted with my attention here and now I can't remember what our topic is. All the, all the Toyotas going to the back for, as Mike said, that's yeah. what they listed it as unapproved adjustments. Yes, you're which right. Were, which, were man- which were mandated. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, I did get see that news and that it was all Toyotas except for Kyle Busch uh, that had to start at the back. Uh, and an A-post frame or something. Uh, it, yeah, that's definitely in an area that they should not be making any manipulation with. So, yeah, you got to think that NASCAR is going to look at that and look at it very closely for all of those cars uh, to see what they're doing and uh, make that determination as to whether or not they need uh, additional um, uh, fines for that. They did start at the rear of the field. I really don't know how big of a penalty that is uh, for drivers when they start at the back of the field, especially at a track 
like uh, Talladega because it's so easy to get up to the front when you're talking about a super speedway. So to me, that's really not much of a uh, penalty if these guys are pushing the envelope uh, a little bit too far on that. Uh, if, if you look at it from that perspective, maybe there does need to be something a little bit more, but I can also see them maybe giving a warning shot and saying this is not going to be accepted again. Uh, if we do see it again, then we will take uh, further actions with regard to penalties. Uh, but I do think that a very strong statement needs to be said if these guys are pushing that envelope over the edge. Uh, on on this. So that's my initial thoughts on it. Uh, I'm sad to see that it's so many of the Toyota cars uh, that, that that happened with. Uh, but you know, as soon as somebody hears uh, what was working for Toyota, other people are going to try to push that envelope in that direction as well. So that's why I think NASCAR needs to make a pretty strong statement uh, with this out the gate. So, Jay, I'm curious to know your thoughts. Well, uh, I'm, with, I'm with you. At Talladega especially, the starting at the rear of the field doesn't really mean a whole lot. However, uh, and I'm going based off of dirt track racing, uh, where I have hands-on experience. You come through tech, if something isn't right, especially after they have their qualifying session, you got to fix it. Your time's disallowed. means you start in the back of your heat race or the back of the field uh, if there isn't a full field. Being that NASCAR doesn't have the full field or is right at it, that you know the, the first step is, is the um, starting at the back of the field. Now, we've seen it in the past where you're not allowing your qualifying time. If there's more than the 40 cars that start, that could be an issue depending on where you are in points or the charter system. It's different Talladega than at Martinsville, which I don't know if you want to start having different rules depending on the track based on that. Martinsville starting at the rear, obviously going to be a lot bigger uh, issue than starting mm-hmm. at the rear of, of Talladega uh, or Daytona. So... I think there might maybe need to be a little bit more balance. And, again, I don't know exactly what it was. If it strictly was, you know, your mirror is six inches uh, from the A post or something and they don't want it there and they can move it, okay, starting at the rear. I I like the fact that they didn't just say, okay, fix it and go on. Um, You know, you do take a penalty at least of of starting from the rear. If it is something that becomes, uh, as Sharon said, it gets into the the habit, you know, week to week, and and I go back to – previous years of the rear window bra- uh, brace bar that they were pulling that out mm-hmm. and manipulating that so it would cave in, okay? And that is a definite advantage throughout the race. Uh, from what my understanding of this was was more of a cosmetic thing, uh, and I don't know what the reasoning was. Like I said, Jayski didn't even have anything up on it, so it must not have been that big no, an issue as far as... Right, that's what I said. So I'm assuming it was just something, hey, they didn't like it, and all the Toyotas had it that way with the exception of Kyle Busch, uh, move it, you start at the back. So there was still that penalty, uh, you know, uh, for itself, which, you know, and, and that's fine. Because like I said, if the, if that's all it is, is that simple as, you know, you had your mirror three inches off or something and it can be moved, um, so be it. Uh, but I don't want to see it become a trend or a habit, uh, as Sharon said, of, of where then each week they're pushing it a little more, pushing it a little more, or, trying to get away with something. Exactly. Mike, your follow-up? 
for the fans who aren't familiar, we keep talking about the A post or the A pillar. We're talking about the uh, the part of the race car between the windshield and the window. Uh, that piece of metal, there's a roll bar there, and it's that boundary. It's the same same terminology used when we're talking about passenger cars, just so everyone knows what we're talking about. As far as the adjustment that was made there, we don't know exactly what they did, but I'm I'm willing to bet that it had nothing to do with safety because if, if they're trying to manipulate the roll cage in that area, that's not something you're going to quick fix and start in the back of the field. Really about the only way to adjust the shape of the roll cage at the track is to flip it upside down and turn three and put the roof on the racetrack for a minute. Just ask Joey Logano. Um, so chances are, like Jay said, it was a matter of positioning the mirror, a cosmetic thing, and really at Talladega, a cosmetic thing is an aerodynamic thing. Um, we saw drivers in qualifying back in the day when they used to do that. The drivers would actually put their hand up about where that rear, uh, that rearview mirror is on the A post there uh, to block the airflow. To I mean, here I am standing here holding my hand up like people can see me. But anyway, they would uh, they would hold <laughs> their hand up at the window net there to block the airflow by that A post. So I'm willing to bet this is something that the Toyotas found in wind tunnel testing or some sort of computer modeling where. If they were to move that mirror somewhere, it would have that same kind of effect of keeping air out of the car and giving them just a little bit of air, not an aerodynamic advantage, and NASCAR didn't like that. Uh, still, I don't see the reason to uh, to drop the hammer on them. And I know a couple races ago I used the phrase, throw the book at them and make sure you hit them with every page. But I don't think this is one of those circumstances. This is just one of those deals where they tried to get away with something. They didn't get away with something. No harm, no foul, let it ride. Yeah, until somebody else tries it. Uh, but, yeah, we'll see what happens. You know, if it does start to become a habit, then they obviously need to uh, address it. Uh, but you're right, if they can give them a warning shot and it's done and it's over and we don't see anybody else uh, trying to duplicate it or trying to finagle it uh, to not be as visible or whatever, then that's, that's uh, a big deal. Okay, I'm going to interrupt myself again. <laughs> uh, we are at that time of the night where we do need uh, to announce to our new listeners, we go off the air at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, that means you're going to hear us go off the air speaking mid-sentence. But rest assured, we are continuing to record the rest of that conversation, and it becomes part of our bonus overtime material. Uh, that is available on our podcast. I go out on Twitter uh, when we finish up with the show to let people know that the podcast is now available. And all you have to do is fast forward to our mark, and then you'll be able to hear the rest of the conversation on that podcast. So, again, just an alert to people so that nobody's caught by surprise. Uh, we make this announcement every night, every week. Uh, every show at about this time, uh, just so nobody's caught by surprise. Uh, so, yeah, like I was saying there, if, it, if it's uh, a one-and-done kind of deal, I have no problem with it uh, not going any further. But if it does end up being uh, more of a habit, then I do think it needs to be addressed. So that's all I really had to say about it. So, Jay, your final comments? Yeah, uh, like I said, uh, the fact that there wasn't any more information uh, via Bob Pockris or Jayski or anything, uh, I'm assuming it was a, uh, wasn't a very critical, it wasn't aerodynamic, it was just something they didn't like and they could all, like Mike said, something they could easily change and fix. 
so then the penalty of starting at the back is is sufficient to me. Uh, you know, like I said, whether or not it, it's a Talladega or Martinsville can be a huge factor, but, uh, you know, it is what it is. It happened there. Maybe that's why they tried it there, because they knew if that was the penalty, they weren't going to uh, take that much of a hit. So uh, hopefully it mm-hmm. is not an issue that we see down the road, because like I said, I don't necessarily want to see penalties. It's just it's been a while since we've seen a manufacturer as a whole uh, like that, and I know Toyota only has five, six cars, um, so it's not as as big for them. But to see a manufacturer across the board be put to the back, it was just kind of a kind of a shocker, if you will. Okay. Okay, Mike, do you want to bring up the next topic? Well, this is uh, a little bit of good news from Bob Pockris. Uh, he posted this evening, uh, quote, Bob Pockris, expect practice and qualifying to return for most, if not all, races in 2022. Really happy to hear it, and I'm interested to see what you guys think of it. Okay. Jay, your thoughts? Yeah, I'm I'm all for it. I, I do think that maybe there, there are a way they can combine or uh, combine practice and qualifying. Again, my feeling is maybe a one-hour session, uh, your your fast time during that practice session is your qualifying lap. Uh, we've seen that in the past where guys will go out and do one qualifying run anyway just to get the feel for their car. If it's the first session, they set it up for qualifying anyway, get one run in. So I think they can combine it. We're bringing it back, but as well cutting back on time and money and everything for the teams, uh, finding a happy medium. I do think it is important to a degree to bring it back, especially when we talk about teams that are trying to get into the races that, that aren't even coming now because they know they have no shot. So I like that. And I think we're, uh, what was it, Kyle Larson's car uh, had something left in it when during transportation. They said that there was a, a sheet protector, a sheet metal in there um, for transportation or when they first start a car, they keep it from overheating or cool, keeping it cool or something, and it didn't get taken out. Uh, we've seen this in the past with uh, weights that teams supposedly claim they said they just got left in there. Things like that that maybe can get checked and not cost them the race. Because Kyle Larson, blew, uh, how many laps was it, Mike? He blew up. I know you mentioned it that it, that it was pretty darn quick. Um, Realistically, that engine was done after lap one. They brought it to pit road and, and, and messed with it a little bit, but that, that was terminal damage to that engine by uh, overheating by lap one. Uh, he said uh, that the temperature got as high as 350 degrees, which is that'll that'll destroy even the best engine. Yeah. Right. So again, if you have if you have that practice session or even just that little bit of time to to start the car and run it, you're going to find that. If you have to switch engines, okay, you switch engines, you start at the back, but it doesn't cost you the race, you know, something like that. that you know, you don't know it until you get out there on the track, and then it's too late. So I do like the fact that they are going to try and work it so that there is at least some uh, practice and qualifying. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I hope it's still a one-day event as opposed to spread out over an entire weekend, uh, two or three days. Uh, And I don't think they need two or three practices. I think one practice is enough with one qualifying event. Uh, To me, qualifying is not as exciting as as some people feel like it is. 
but that, that I'm just one person. I'm in the minority there, I guess. But uh, I do think I would like to see qualifying of some sort take place on the same day. We know it can happen. We've seen it happen in some of the other series. Uh, so I'm hoping for cost reasons, I'm hoping they can uh, keep it to just the one day and not spread out over an entire weekend. Uh, Mike, what are your thoughts? Uh, like I said before, I'm really happy to see it back for a couple of reasons. Um, first and foremost, in my opinion, most importantly, like Jay said, there are a lot of teams, especially in the Xfinity and Truck Series, who would like to race, but they didn't make that Daytona race. And to date, mm-hmm. up until the Coda race next month, they have had absolutely zero opportunity to pursue getting into these races just by virtue of not having the opportunity to race at Daytona and earn any of those owner points, which they need in order to make the races right now without qualifying. So giving more teams the opportunity to race their way into these races, whether it be in the cup series or any of the lower series, I think is huge for the development of the sport, especially with the gen Gen seven car, supposedly bringing in more new teams and team owners. I think it's very important to give those new teams the best opportunity to make these races and really establish themselves in the sport as, a cl- as opposed to being excluded like a lot of the uh, the part-time or new teams have been so far this year in the lower tier series. Um, with regard to the on-track stuff, I think the – I'm going to have to disagree with you on this one, Sharon. I like the extended time of, you know, it, it, at least a Saturday-Sunday, a two-day show, and I think a lot of the sponsors do as well just because – you have the opportunity to have the fan hospitality suites and the driver meet and greets and, and the, you know, the, the canine equestrian extravaganza that they have here. That was notably missing this past weekend at Talladega um, with o- only having no practice, no qualifying, and just a, a, a race show. Um, it was much more uh, sedate and a lot less sponsor presence there, which if there's less sponsor presence being seen at the racetrack, that probably means there's less po- uh, sponsor presence being seen in the pocketbooks for, uh, for NASCAR and these teams. So giving these sponsors the opportunity to showcase their product, smooth their customers, et cetera, and having more opportunities to do so than just the Sunday race or even just a one-day show, I think will go a long way towards uh, towards helping these teams financially. I understand there's costs associated with additional track time for these cars, so it's going to have to be a balance between how much money, sponsorship money it's bringing in versus how much it costs to put the race car on the track. But I think that balance could be established, and I think it needs to be a broader footprint than just a one-day show. Okay, Jay, your thoughts? Well, I was going to agree with Mike there until the very end. Um, I think the sponsor is a big key in this, Uh, not just from at the track, but when they have practice and qualifying, they get television coverage. Uh, So they're especially qualifying, with the exception of occasional commercials, pretty much every car gets focused on. So there's a chance where some of your lower-tier teams, and not that the, the other teams' sponsors are there anyway, but especially I think it's more important for those lower tier teams that are looking for a sponsor saying, hey, we can get you on TV here because that's a spot where they're guaranteed to get that coverage. Uh, I know I'm one that, you know, on on that end of it, if, yeah, there were five qualifying sessions between Friday, Saturday prior to the race, if I didn't get to watch them, I recorded them, watched them late at night when I'm I'm trying to go to sleep. Uh, That's just me. I understand, Sharon, you're saying you're, you're, you're not one that would sit in the grandstand to watch it. There again, I would. Um, 
So what Mike did say, the balance, of finding that balance. Yeah, we, we want to save them money, but you also got to provide to those who are bringing the money in and having something of value in return. Uh, I don't know, this is where I said I kind of veered away from Mike, the two-day thing or three-day, I don't know if it's necessary. Uh, I think they can do it in one day. Or maybe, like he said, at least do the qualifying practice, normally cup practice, and qualifying was on Saturday, then you raced on Sunday. Uh, so it's technically two days. Uh, I can see that. I know the one-day thing is kind of a you get yourself in a jam if you, if you have a problem during that qualifying session. But I, I think you can find the balance. You know, he was very key on that, finding that balance, keeping the drivers happy, the teams and the money they're spending, which case the sponsors and what they're willing to bring and what they're getting in return for it. Yes, indeed. Uh, now, I'm not going to say that I don't follow uh, qualifying, but I might follow it on my app as opposed to following it on TV uh, where I can see a leaderboard and just kind of see how they're following in place uh, for qualifying. I might, instead of watching it on TV or or even at the racetrack, I, there's other things I'd like to be doing at the racetrack. Uh, so I... Um, I, I see your point about the sponsors. Uh, there's a lot of smoothing and all that kind of thing that goes on at the track. Uh, and I think that that smoothing can still take place uh, uh, for the driver and the sponsors and the people that want to be at the track. Uh, but I, I definitely don't think it needs to be a three-day event. Uh, two would be the max, and so I still would prefer for it to be one. Now, I understand that maybe puts a little bit more on the drivers on race day, uh, but, um, you know, my preference would be one, but I could I could probably live with two. Uh, it, it just seems like unnecessary money being spent that could be go for other things. And I think we're seeing the benefit of some of that money going toward other things when you see some of these lower-funded teams that are, are racing up in the top ten and in some cases even winning races uh, and uh, are getting some exposure that way. So I think that exposure can be gotten in other ways uh, than taking an extra day at the track. Uh, but, you know, it just comes down to a matter of preference, and, and for me, that's what it comes down to. So, Mike, you get the last word. I think I used this just way to describe it a few uh, shows ago when we were talking about this, where this is an opportunity for kind of a fundamental reset for how a race weekend is structured. So it sounds like they want to move back in the direction of having practice and qualifying, but having more or less a clean slate for how a race weekend is structured, I'm really interested to see what direction they go in terms of number of practice sessions, the format of qualifying, and the overall footprint of a typical race weekend. And I really look forward to seeing how that all plays out, whether they announce it this year or at the beginning of next year, it's definitely something we'll be talking about again. Yes, indeed. Okay, Jay, you get to bring up the next topic. Well, it's kind of a repeat one. I know we had it prior to going into the race. We've had some uh, coming out as well as Steve O'Donnell and uh, Vice President Scott Miller make some statements reference Jennifer Joe Cobb not being allowed to race. Uh, I wanted to see what your guys' 
thoughts were following that as well as the statements from NASCAR. Okay, Mike, your thoughts? This is the same kind of ambiguous uh, argument that we were having about it last Monday where they definitely didn't say it was just a procedural administrative, she didn't submit an application in time kind of thing. It is made very clear that this was a judgment call based on, uh, I don't know if they used the word merit, but for lack of a better way to describe it, the merit of, uh, of whether she should be participating in this race or not. And I cannot disagree stronger with the decision that they made. I don't think that Jennifer Jo Cobb would have been any worse in that race than Josh Felicki or Quinn Howe or any of the other drivers for Rick Ware or Starcom or Spire or any of those other, you know, the backmarker teams like she would end up racing for. She would have been in the Rick Ware 15. I don't think she would have done any worse in that race, and maybe she would have done even better. So the argument that she doesn't have a good enough resume to qualify for Cup, at least for me, it doesn't hold water when compared against the other drivers who are potentially filling that ride every weekend. Okay. Um, I guess I'm next. Um, yeah, I, I could argue either way in this particular case. Uh, NASCAR has got to look out for the safety. Uh, maybe there's something more to this that's not apparent to us. Uh, as a reason for why NASCAR made that decision. Uh, I know that she's raced trucks on super speedways before, um, but, you know, NASCAR usually looks at these situations pretty clearly. Um, so I, I'm not sure. I, I, I uh, you know, I know Jennifer Jo Cobb has a lot of fans, and a lot of fans would have loved to have seen her out there on the track, so if NASCAR was looking at it from that perspective, there's no reason not to put her out on the track. But there, it leads me to think the fact that they made the decision that they made is that there's something more to it that's maybe not apparent uh, to all of us. And uh, there's a reason why they made the decision that they made. So we'll have to, they're saying performance and and not enough time on the track or whatever. Uh, I have to trust that they've got their reasons for, for coming up with that. Uh, Jay, your thoughts? That's, that's where, in my opinion, their argument kind of fall, falls apart uh, because it is a judgment thing. And, and Mike and I are going to be arm in arm in this one. Uh, there, there, the several of the calls that came in today onto SiriusXM throughout the day on all the programs statistics of how many starts and what tracks Harrison Burton has run at and how he's done versus, versus her. Uh, Mike mentioned several of the drivers that were out there, and I know one or two of them were involved in an incident, but there again, I almost then say you've got to do what Brad Keselowski says and say, hey, look at the drivers that are there. Are some of them that, that we should take and say, hey, you can't run. Even though you have been, you can't which includes some of your top stars. Where did the accident start? With Denny Hamlin, Bubba mm -hmm. Wallace, and Joey Logano, okay? <laughs> you know, I mean, if you, if you have, and they, they didn't specify what criteria it was, but were you applying that to the drivers then that are already there as well? I mean, I, that's where I don't follow with their logic. I understand they were saying they were looking at it from a safety aspect and what, the best interest of, of the drivers, but what they had to back it up, I just don't see it holding water 
because, like I said, there's statistics of other drivers, and unfortunately, uh, I try not to let it get real deep in my head, but the comment, one of the comments made today was the name Burton got one driver in, but hers wasn't a Burton name or an Earnhardt or something to that effect. And when you compare the starts and the snatch from other tiered series, so then it is just a judgment call of how you think that driver is, but you don't know because we've seen drivers that didn't do much in the Xfinity Series there in the truck make it very well at the Cup, and vice versa, ones that burned through the trucks in Xfinity and got the Cup and couldn't do anything. So I, I don't see where their, their backing is, is really valid, if you will. Okay, Mike. Yeah, the, the argument that, oh, there's something behind the scenes that we don't know, we should just trust them, I don't buy it. I, I don't want to put any faith in that whatsoever. Even if there is, I think it's been handled very, very poorly from that standpoint. Uh, if they do have some sort of double secret criteria that they use that they're not revealing to us, they should at least say that we have an internal evaluation process that we use and we, we rank all drivers against that eternal evaluation process. I haven't seen anything to that effect to imply that there's any sort of objective criteria, public or private, that is used to determine whether a driver is qualified to run at the NASCAR Cup Series level or not. Um, this is what I said in the, uh, the previous show when we discussed this topic. I think that's something that's sorely missing. If they're going to start saying that drivers can't compete at certain races, or at the cup level or whatever level they decide they want to put a ceiling on, well, that's fine. But there has to be some objective, measurable criteria that all drivers are weighed against in the, the, how they determine that. And those criteria need to be known at the very least to the drivers who are trying to race in these series and more ideally known to everybody so we don't spend a whole week talking on this show and all the shows on SiriusXM and social media, et cetera, where NASCAR looks like they made a pretty bad PR move whether it was a good judgment call or not in terms of competition is irrelevant. It's been a very bad PR move on their part to exclude a driver from the race and not be able to articulate a very clear and objective reason of why they did it versus some of the other drivers that they have allowed to race. Well, I agree with you in some parts. That clarity needs to be there, okay, of what their, what their criteria is. And I would advocate for that. But if I had a choice between them making a PR move or a judgment call that is for safety reasons, I'm going to side with the judgment call for safety reasons 100% of the time over a bad PR move. Um, I, I do think that uh, NASCAR needs to be forthcoming with what their criteria is. I think that would satisfy people if they know what that is. But we also know that NASCAR doesn't typically operate uh, in that way. Um, and I, I'm not going to say that NASCAR doesn't make mistakes. They do make mistakes. And when they do make mistakes, they're usually forthcoming about the mistakes that they've made, especially in more recent years. Uh, they've come out and said, we blew the call. Uh, and we're going to try to not let that happen again. That's not what I'm hearing in this case. So that's what leads me to believe that there is more to this than what meets the eye. And uh, if, it's, uh, if it's on the side of safety, 
then then and who knows it might have been a timing thing i don't know what the reason was uh but if nascar could be more forthcoming with that i think fans uh would maybe have a better appreciation drivers would have a better appreciation for why it happened um uh is it possible that they made a bad call sure it's possible they made a bad call uh and that's why i think it's important uh, that they continue to be transparent if it was a bad call and say, hey, we made a bad call. Uh, I would have a lot more respect for that. Uh, but at the same time, I think they need to have some clarity with what it is that they're making the judgment call on. Um, uh, and, and, you know, th- there's a lot of factors. I know I've been in these positions. And what people see on the surface, fraction of what people who have to make those decisions have to take into consideration. So uh, a lot of times people on the outside have no clue what's going on behind the scenes. And and I know that for a fact because <laughs> I've been in those positions and it's not easy sometimes to to come out there and just say those. It's all all the all encompassing. Here are the reasons. Uh, but I think that NASCAR can look at this and and maybe figure out a way uh, to bring some clarity so that fans are more satisfied. So Jay, your thoughts? Yeah, they fall in line with what you were saying there. They did say that there was a team, and I, I want to say that they said there were five. And I know Steve O'Donnell. Scott Miller, um, Elton Sawyer is the technical director, I believe. I'm not sure if I got his title right. Uh, with three of the names mentioned, my issue then, is, like I said, are they evaluating ones that have been on track? Uh, you know, what is it that intangible, as Mike said, though, of we've seen what Harrison Burton can do, okay, or and I'm just using him as the example because that's the one that did get brought up today of then it's a judgment call and I just I don't like that uh, of because we don't know what kind of talent she had and I can't say in the moving to the the cup level with uh, RWR necessarily would improve that uh, based on the fact of the equipment because that too a lot of times is what it is is what what type of equipment they're in you can have the best driver in the world if you're in poor equipment there is only so much you can do uh, so, and I can't say she was going into the best equipment there with RWR, and I think we all know that, but I still don't mm-hmm. think then that that should have been the determining factor if that is what swayed them. You know, had she been going into a Hendrick ride, for example, well, then they have said, oh, okay, because a Hendrick car is going to be fast and she won't have to worry about trying to overdrive the car. Don't know. Uh, uh, that was just an example I came with up, uh, in my head of, you know, would that have made a difference if it had been Hendrick Motorsports being that they have better equipment for her to run up front and not have the, the normal car struggles that some of these lower-tier teams do? Don't know. Uh, but that is a possibility. But there again, I think that needs to be out there then as well as possibly even reevaluated because I don't think that's fair to these teams. You know, Hendrick started – where he wasn't winning races, almost had to shut down because he couldn't couldn't make it. So they got to start somewhere, and, and I just I hate the fact that she didn't. I, I hate the fact that, and I don't doesn't matter that it was a, a female who it was uh, that they weren't able to uh, even attempt to. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, Mike, we're back to you. 
Well, let me scroll through here and see if we have a quick one. I know we're somewhat running out of time here. Um, oh, yeah, there was, we are. Speaking of Rick, <laughs> there's, a, there's a quick one here. Um, speaking of Rick Ware Racing, uh, Mark Lissimonis put out a tweet this morning tagging Rick Ware Racing where he just basically said, tell me what you need. And I find that really, really interesting. Uh, Marcus Limonis, if you're not familiar, is the CEO of Camping World, who's obviously done great things uh, predominantly in the truck series, but sponsoring all throughout the major NASCAR touring series, including the Trackhouse racing car, Daniel Suarez. So it's real interesting to see potentially uh, Marcus Limonis getting involved with Rick Ware Racing and what that could potentially bring. Okay, Jay. Well, I think we've said it across the board. As a sponsor and as a CEO, he obviously loves this sport and wants to see it successful from the front to the back. You know, you mentioned Daniel Suarez with Trackhouse. They're doing good. He wants to help sponsor them. Grant Enfinger is one. He knows was fighting for a ride in sponsorship. But he's also looking at what can I do to help these other teams build up so that we have 40 cars out there on a weekly basis. When you say, who's going to win this race? Talladega, we say anybody can win, okay? But when we go to, say, Martinsville or a mile-and-a-half track, that all 40 teams, you can say, hey, they really do have a shot at it. And I think that's what he's trying to do is, is uh, be successful for everybody across the board, not the richer get richer and the poor get poorer. Yeah. What, you can't say anything bad about Marcus Lomonas, uh with regard to what he's doing to help support this sport. Uh, he has just been a tremendous savior, if you will, uh, for a lot of people uh, that need that extra support. And I don't know if Rick Ware went out to them first or if he just singled them out and went out to them. But uh, the fact that uh, he's willing to work with teams like that, uh, and, and he's saying, tell me what you need, and I'll, I'll see what I can do. Uh, I think that's fantastic. I wish we had more people uh, with those kind of deep pockets uh, that could do that for a lot more of these teams. Uh, but I like the way that he's going about it. He's getting a lot of exposure for what he's doing uh, by doing it the way he's doing it. And uh, uh, that's a lot of exposure for his uh, uh, brand as well. So, uh, I, it's a it's a great reciprocal relationship. Uh, I, I like the way he's gone about it. I think he's showing other people how they can go about it and help some of these different teams, but put the money where it's really, really needed as opposed to with another top-tier team. Uh, I like that he's, he's reaching out to these lower-funded teams uh, to give them what they need to be more competitive. I think it's fantastic. Uh, Mike? To answer Marcus's question, what does Rick Ware Racing need? Nothing. I don't think Rick Ware Racing needs anything because I don't know that Rick Ware Racing is particularly interested in becoming competitive at the cup level. Uh, Rick Ware Racing is a much bigger organization than just a NASCAR Cup Series. Uh, He's got efforts in sports cars as well as some open-wheel stuff as well. And it seems like they have found their business niche of 
working in the back of the pack, selling the seat to when it's available to be sold, getting the sponsorship money that they can, and the, the revenue from the charter system. I think Rick Ware sees the four charters that he owns as an investment, and knowing that potentially Dale Earnhardt Jr. or any other number of teams will be looking for charters in the future, the value of those charters are going to do nothing but go up. So long as he keeps the charters viable with a, uh, with cars on the racetrack every week. I don't know that Rick Ware Racing really has an interest in putting the kind of time and money that it would take to really become competitive at the cup level. I don't think that they would turn down a win if the opportunity presented itself, but we've seen before where there's kind of a dead zone in the middle where you commit to trying to go fast, so you start investing the resources to do it, but you don't have the resources to really, truly be elite. And we saw it with Levine Family Racing and Germain Racing most recently where you kind of get stuck in that dead zone of resources where you're committed to spending more than you can make in terms of performance. And I think Rick Ware is really smart from a business standpoint of avoiding that pitfall. Yeah, it kind of makes him the butt of the joke every once in a while, but who's laughing when he checks his bank account? It's not Rick Ware, that's for sure. Okay, Jay. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I got a lot to say about that. I'll, I'll go ahead and let you. Yeah, I, I, that would, we're no longer arm in arm, Mike. <laughs> yeah, if Rick go Ware ahead, sure. Racing has that attitude, they have no business being where they are, and they should be kicked out immediately <laughs> because this sport is about winning and trying to be competitive with competitive equipment. And when you have a sponsor that is willing to go out there and give you the money you need to be competitive and you tell them, I don't need anything, nothing, then get out of the sport. I don't want to see not one car on the track if you're going to tell me you need nothing to be competitive in this sport and you're a backmarker. I think that's ridiculous. And that guy should be booted out of this sport immediately if he were to say something like that. I, I think that's unacceptable. Jay, okay, say now, whatever you want to yeah. say. <laughs> well, <laughs> keep in mind, and, and, and Mike, I understand where you're saying that's how you see it, but that was not RWR's response. Uh, I don't know that I've ever heard – I know we went through back in the day of the start in parks that some said that's what they were doing in order to build up to where they could run a full race, and I didn't fully agree with that. I'm with Sharon. I mean, if that's why you're there of, of just collecting a paycheck by, by showing up, running a few laps, getting out, uh, I do agree that something needs to be addressed. And I think NASCAR did. Uh, that's part of the reason of the charter system, and they did fulfill the, the, what they needed to that. If they were to have a charter and sell it to Junior Motorsports or whoever, I have nothing against that. But if that truly were the intent of what they're doing, um, I, I'm with Sharon that, that NASCAR needs to step in and say, hey, you're not even making that effort because they do have that caveat in their rule book. It's rather vague of if you're not giving 100%, we're going to take a look at it. Uh, I don't think that – I don't believe that's the case. Uh, you know, like you said, maybe he did respond to him and it just wasn't public that way. Um, we'll have to wait and see, but I don't, I don't think that that's, a, and I can't speak for him. Maybe they are, and maybe they're smart and keeping it a secret. I don't know. 
Uh, hopefully not, because I'm with Sharon. If that is the case, I do think they need to, to, to not be there then, and that NASCAR needs to look at that and reevaluate the charter system, which is why I have a little bit of an issue still with the charter system. Um, that maybe NASCAR says, hey, you are going to sell one of these because you're not growing or appearing to uh, grow. Put forth the effort. Mike? Yeah, I just want to be clear. I'm, I'm, I'm not speaking from any position of knowledge on Rick Ware Racing or anything else. This is just my speculation on the matter. So I, I don't have any kind of inside knowledge or, or anything like that. Um, with that said, like Jay said, though, there's always been starting parks in all levels of, of the racing. There's still there's not so many yeah, in the it. Cup Series anymore, but there's plenty still in the Xfinity and especially the Truck Series. Yeah, sure, they have a mechanical problem, and they just happen to park the truck after five to ten laps. But – Let's be real. It's a starting park operation. And Rick Ware Racing, they fill a role. They fill the field. And is that a bad thing? No, it's absolutely not a bad thing. NASCAR's struggled to have enough cars show up every weekend in order to fill the fields at most of the racetracks, Daytona, Talladega, a couple others notwithstanding. Um, kicking Rick Ware Racing out of the sport, even if they came out and said, we're not here to win, and then you kick them out, well, now you just got 32 cars showing up every weekend because the four Rick Ware cars so are not showing up anymore and no one else is either. So that's it, it's a bit of a trade-off. It's a business and it's a show when you, when, when you boil it down in, in a way. And the show benefits from having as full of a field as they can. So I don't want to be excessively negative on Rick Ware Racing, but at the same time, being realistic about their role within the sport, I think is there's nothing wrong with that either. Well, I think NASCAR we, made it we, clear that they expect everybody to get out there and go for uh, the best finishes they can possibly get. And I think NASCAR has been – I think the whole charter system was designed to try to eliminate the Starkins parks. So even if it has been for uh, a part of the sport for a while – that doesn't mean that NASCAR wants to continue to go in that direction. I think they're trying to address that because I recall a lot of people complaining about starting parks and not wanting starting parks in the field. And I'd rather see 32 competitive cars on the track than to have 40 and half of them are, are not competitive. So, or a third of them are not competitive. Yeah, that, that's crazy. Okay, so let's uh, go ahead and finish the show, um, and we'll do our roundtable. Mike, we'll start with you. It's going to be Mike underscore Rizel on Twitter, Mike double underscore O on Reddit. Uh, should have an article go live tomorrow regarding my experiences at Talladega this past weekend. Go ahead and give that one a read. This weekend on Friday, actually, not even up to the weekend, I'm going to be at Daytona International Speedway. I'll be doing an SCCA track night in America at Daytona. Uh, so really looking forward to getting down there and getting on the track myself and, and seeing how that place shakes out. Okay, Jay. Well, I want to say, first off, I know I put it put it in the uh, private group uh, message there, but congratulations to Sharon. We talked about Joey Logano. That was my driver. Sharon is now your points leader uh, in the Cup Series as well as overall there. Uh, so congratulations on that. I'm not too far off, but I'm still coming. Uh, and what made me think of that was I got got a message. Uh, I took over the points lead in my family one. I was like, well, that's good because I lost the one we, we were doing. So, um <laughs> You can follow me on Michael Hoosman on Facebook. Uh, a lot of stuff out there. Uh, 
Wait, Mopar MJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. I got to work uh, with the Mississippi Street Stock Series here at Magnolia Motor Speedway right at home this weekend. So 15 minutes back and forth was kind of a nice trip. Uh, next weekend I'll be doing four hours up to Tennessee, though. So uh, Clay Hills Motorsports Park. Okay. Uh, thank you for the recognition. I guess i got to enjoy it while I'm there because that can be fleeting. Uh, I think it's the first time since we've been doing this fantasy thing that that's happened for me. So uh, I'll enjoy it while it lasts. Um, but Fan uh, for Racing site on Twitter, Fan for Racing blog and radio everywhere else on uh, social media as well as our website, FanforRacing.com. And, yes, we're going to have Mike's uh, Fan at the Track, the Spring Talladega race up uh, on uh, fan for racing tomorrow so you can definitely watch for that then uh, I'm not sure if we're going to get the power rankings this week I know Owen has a super busy week in store for him so and that's part of what happened uh, last week as well so uh, hopefully we'll resume that in another week or so uh, we did get Sam Bornhorst uh, recap up tonight or not tonight this morning uh, for the Talladega race uh, in the Cup Series. And uh, I think Tommy is uh, probably working on some things there as well. So uh, we'll watch for more coming in from him. Uh, so that's, I think, about it for now. Uh, big shout-out to our listeners for tuning in and to our Fan for Racing crew for all that you do. Even when it gets uh, lively here on Fan for Racing Hot Topics, uh, we still uh, are good friends and, and get along with each other. So I appreciate that. Uh, so with that, we will call it a night. And we'll look forward to our preview show on Thursday night. I am working on a guest. I'm hoping to get, uh, well, I'm not going to say who I'm hoping to get yet. (laughs) We'll let it be a surprise. Uh, But I do have a request out, and I'm waiting for the response and and, uh, definitely looking forward to Thursday night's uh, preview show of Kansas Speedway. So with that, we'll call it a night and say good night. All right. Have a good Good night. night, everybody. Okay, good night. See you on the see you Thursday.